Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's December the 20th of 2023. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. It's Hanukkah, it's Hanukkah Kwanzaa, Christmas, December time. So Yeah. Every single one of those all at once, all the time, until the end. Yes. As far as I know. I mean, like, I... I don't I don't ever look at a calendar so I mean I don't I don't I don't uh observe several of them so I, I may not know all the rules um but the good times they never end that's what I've heard and so I've heard the same thing uh-huh. uh you probably hear a lot more than me right now though considering the uh you know the your 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 rapid powers. Your yeah, ears. I was gonna say we do have to acknowledge the fact I'm currently dressed as Mirko from My Hero Academia. Boom. Um, I I don't even remember how it started, but the conversation just went. I was like, look, I'll wear whatever anyone wants, but I'm not gonna pay for it. So if someone wants to send it to me, whatever, I'll be happy to, and I'll try to like make something funny out of it. Uh, so, uh, a listener of our show, uh, who I won't name just in case they don't want me to. I should have checked on that beforehand. That's a bad thing on my mm. end. Um, so, just to be safe. Uh, but they sent uh, the costume. And I was like, cool. Uh, they included the wig. I got the wig. The wig was the most infuriating fucking thing on the planet, though. Uh, uh, my, my head is gigantic, apparently. Uh, so, I had it on for a while, and then it popped off. And then after that, I was like... I don't think it's getting back on. I, I think that was a one and done shot. Uh, if we'd record the podcast in 25 minutes, it would have been there. Uh, also, apparently having that much hair is really, really frustrating. I didn't know that. Um, but the other thing is I was going to have a whole gimmick to this. Like I was going to play into the character of Mirko. And uh, the only real character trait I know about her is she's like a blood knight. But then also right. um, she's lost like almost all of her limbs so throughout the show i was just gonna be like i broke my arm and then throw uh like a fake limb like an arm across the room and then like it would get more and more exaggerated like eventually like "Ah, i stubbed my toe and then just rip off a leg and toss it uh but those things actually it turns out are rather pricey yeah Uh, mannequin pieces it's wild so uh just mirko today uh but uh i may make a couple rabbit punts i don't know don't judge me. Yeah, chapter, chapter 250, Mirko, basically. Mm-hmm. So, so. I'm the number five hero? I believe that then the big hero ranking ceremony, she became the number five hero, yes. Yeah, there we go. Number five. I'm going to put on my glove of power. Uh, uh, also, seeing you in your current getup makes me realize, like, Huh? How would rabbit people wear headphones? Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be honest. These might come off at some point, not intentionally. Uh, this is a precarious setup, but yeah, life is for the living. I'm not sure exactly how that applies to uh, what you're talking about, but you're not wrong about that. Thank so, you. Uh, I will not living. challenge you. Thank uh, you. So yeah, I appreciate you being the big man here. Uh, and admitting you're wrong. Oh, um, I'm not. I didn't realize I was admitting to that. Yeah, you admit I already have seated, I've already seated that ground, and I can't take it back. It's impossible for me to do so. Yeah. So it'll, I guess it, it'll, yeah, it'll make the court case a lot easier for me to win. Oh, that you've already admitted. It's very, and, and... it's very consider- concerning. All of a sudden, uh-huh. uh huh. 
Let's move on before I indict myself any further. Uh, Suddenly there's someone in serving you papers. Uh, It's like you were counting uh, on this happening. That's also very concerning. Uh, I like that Kalanasis is like, well, since Ed shot Hawks and Endeavor are basically done, you're number two now. I think Mirko's also probably done. Uh, after After the legs, I think she might be done for hearing a bit. She'll walk it off. Okay. <laughs> Crawl it off? I, I don't know. Hop, hop it off. She's fine. Uh, she'll, uh, she'll vibrate it off. <laughs> I actually uh, can't remember what limb she has left. Is it a leg? I think she has one leg left. Okay. I might even be wrong about that. She might just have all artificial limbs right at this point. Uh, Which can be very but, cool. Um, but... Uh, I would like to hope at some point she goes on a vacation. Just takes a little break. <laughs> yeah, like, girl, you've done a lot. Uh, I uh, so we've got some an odd lineup uh, this week uh-huh. because we do have some of our irregular series, but also we are without My Hero Academia. Yep. We are without One Piece. Yep. We're, we're without even zero. You have no idea how excited I was. Oh, I, I was in this costume making sandwich, like making something to eat before I had to do this. And I was like, fuck, I didn't read Eden Zero yet. Pulled up my phone again. I had to take off the gloves. Like, God damn it. This is going to be annoying. Cut the chapter. It's like, it's at the end. Oh, I read this chapter already. Oh, oh. Oh, we're done. There's, there's no chapter to read to recap this week. It's a Christmas miracle. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> or it's on break. I don't know. I'm so uh, excited. I, think I, I don't care. Any any reason, I, assuming Hero isn't hurt or anything like that, I'm very right. grateful for. Um, the only other thing we have to note before we get into the swing of things is that uh, we announced we are going to uh, give people a chance to remove a manga from the recap. And the votes came in. Yeah. And very overwhelmingly, uh, the people have spoken. Yeah. So I, I, will, I will preface this by saying this was not something I announced uh, publicly. This was only available in our Discord. I, I think I only tweeted. I, I only messaged it like once. This wasn't like a constant reminder. Like, go check this out. Um, but uh, I basically was like, hey, between these five series, which one do you want us to drop? Kagorobachi, Eden Zero, New Sexorcist, Two One Ice, uh, The Elusive Samurai. Because those are the five that people have kind of discussed that like sometimes can be frustrating for us to uh, try to find something to talk about or you know whatever or don't have a lot of interest in. Um, and there's part of me that's like, oh, maybe I should have like posted it on Blue Sky and like gotten the wider. Pub- I think the vote would have been the same. I think so. I, I I don't seeing how much again overwhelmingly because you can only pick one option. This wasn't like uh, you can yep. pick multiple. Uh, overwhelmingly, people were like, "If I can only get one, get rid of Kagurabachi." Yeah. Uh, near, I think it was like more than double the next one afterward. Yes. So yeah, it, over uh, over fifty percent of the poll yeah. voted for Kagurabachi. So. We're not talking about it anymore. Yes. Uh, I, I was gone. all set to. No, I wasn't all set. I read the chapter this week with the intention of us uh, talking about on the recap. And then as I was getting ready to record, I was like, what the hell happened in Kagurabachi again? And I checked it out. I was like, uh. <laughs> 
So no, we're do- we're not going to talk about it. Um, sorry, Reddit's favorite manga. We're not going to talk about it uh, anymore. Uh, so if it gets good again, I'm sure we'll hear about it. But I don't know. It's not we'll see. looking super great for the series nope. in the long term right now. So it mm. might not have lasted all that much longer. Um, but uh, people were like, you guys are rushing towards the end of the recap. Maybe there are too many series. We should get rid of one. Why don't we get rid of the one nobody seems to enjoy right now? Uh, yeah. So with that said, uh, we've got a few series out. We've got a few irregular stuff in. Let's get into it. Quinn, you're starting us off because it's Undead Unluck. Yeah, I'm going to start us off and then you do the rest of the episode. Basically. Because <laughs> there's no Eden Zero and no One Piece, which are the two other series I talk uh, through. So uh, I'm going to make a bunch of mistakes here and then feel good and just coast the rest of the episode. Uh, uh, Nick, let's talk about Undead Unluck number 188, the same undying person. So we open in a flashback as Juez is talking to Apocalypse. Victor is still, uh, he's, he's nearby, but he's snoozing loudly. We can see the big snore sound effects coming from him. Yep. And Juez is like affectionately flipping through apocalypse as he is a book uh but she's just like hey can i ask you a question she's like stop doing this fine as long as it's like related to the system i don't care and she says so if i were to fail a loop and then be reborn in the next world would my name or looks change because like no matter how many times we do the loop like Gina and Victor or Gina and Void and all that, they all look the same. But Victor and I are from a time before there were rules for sex and gender. So we, we don't have parents. Uh, what would exactly happen there? Uh, and Apocalypse is like, all right. So you would be given the right to exist in the child. Like you'd basically be the child of somebody like a couple who could not have children. And because you would be genetically their child, you would carry their DNA. Um, so you would look different. You would be raised. So you'd probably be different. You would functionally be different people. Uh, and she's like, hmm, that's a problem. Like if Victor saw that that happened, he wouldn't let me go into the battle anymore. And even if someone else were to loop instead. So... You know what's what's gonna happen? He's like, yeah, you know, it's probably not a good good idea to fall in love with the guy who could never die. So he just persists throughout these loops and everything like that. And she's like, well, you know what? I think I have a hundred loops, so I bet I'll find them one day. And we we move out of the flashback into current day, uh, where Fuko is entering into the the round table room, and she's so excited. She's like, finally, the one uh, clue. Just, uh... Just briefly, importantly, that flashback was fall from Apocalypse's perspective. Like he's he establishes like, well, what what the hell was I just dreaming about? So this is on his mind right now. Yeah. So Foucault's like, ah, finally, we have the clue that we needed to get to Juez. These locations that only Andy could sense because he has like a mastery of his soul ability. London, United Kingdom, uh, Apocalypse, you know, run a check. You know, on on people living in the United Kingdom, I'm sure it's a small amount. Um, but as she's you know doing all that, she's smiling and she's looking up because she's saying, "Wow, that aside, things have gotten so huge, haven't they?" And we see the round table as it is now 
has expanded to 13 people. So we have a regular 10-person roundtable, and then as we saw in those, like, visions or dreams that Fuko had, the roundtable is extended upwards. Basically, everyone they've recruited so far is considered a member of the roundtable, with the exception of Ashin, Latla, Ichigo, and Nico, who also still does not have his ability yet. And Mui. Mui's and, and just, Mui. she's, she's just just crammed into Shen's corner there. <laughs> yeah, she's she's. I mean, uh, they're a tag team. I like that on Burn got to be in there before anyone else. They're like, we just got she. Yeah, whatever. Um, it's very very cool. We get to see everybody and all their abilities and everything like that. And as with Fuko unlocked, very cool. And Apocalypse says it's quest time. So we reveal four new quests. Capture of UMA Burn, they get an artifact, the silent voice. Capture of UMA Summer, they get it, they get the location of the artifact, Tarlequin. Neutralization of UMA Beast and the neutralization of UMA Language, both of them provide two additional roundtable seats. And Foucault immediately is like, ah, those are the number nine and the number eight master rules, superior rules. Mm. So they're like oh, well, we're not going to do that quest then because we can't survive against them. Uh, and Apocalypse is like, are you sure? Because if you do, I will add UMA Revolution. And Fuko has to explain that, like, that's the one where we lose the game. Once that happens, we will start on a collision course towards the sun, at which point the fight starts and... Well, we'll be in the final battle at that point. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. So a pass at this point, like Apocalypse is like, you must know, understand if a pass at this point means game over, but you have no chance if you do accept you're done for. You either accept the quest to die or run and die. Blah, blah, blah. And Foucault says, I accept. I'm sorry, Apocalypse. And Apocalypse, huh? Nico's like, I don't, sorry, sorry about what? And she says, you know, I've been at a loss about what to do. And I've decided I'm going to go pick her up. The first seat of the previous loop, Unjustice, Miss Juez. And Apocalypse is like, what, why, why, why do you, why do you care? What worth does she have to you? She doesn't even have Unjustice. She's just an ordinary brat. And Foucault says, you know, I figured out that like the 10 superior rules are like, They'll fuck you up quests like they're 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 pretty much almost extinction level events. And yet Miss Juez has been able to hold out for a hundred loops because of how powerful Unjustice is as an ability. So it can actually stand up to these rules, can it? And Apocalypse is like stunned. She's like, yeah, I can I can tell that you're right. And is it because of this strategy that you're nervous? Like, I, 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 you know, I got it in one. Or is it because deep down, you don't want Miss Juez to fight? Very sweet. Turns out this book has feelings, Nick. Yeah. Can you believe it? This little fucking troll book. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the book's like, no, fuck you. How dare you? I, I, I'm the best. Everyone sucks but me. Uh, you, you're speaking nonsense, everything like that. And she's just like, you know, I was convinced that you felt the same way as Mr. Victor. And Mr. Victor just wanted Miss Juez to laugh and smile. And that's why he wanted her to give up the battle and just live a normal life. 
but that's not why she, you know, it's not what she wants. And he's like, how do you know that? She's like, because I fell in love with the same undying person. And we even have like a little Gina in the background. They look very happy. We jump back into the flashback from earlier with Juez and Apocalypse, where she says, yeah, I can loop forward a hundred times. So I'm definitely sure I'll be able to find that one true friend who can understand these feelings of love. And Apocalypse is just like, fat chance. There's only one undead lady. I don't know what you're going to do. And she's like, yeah, I, I, I bet it'll work itself out, basically. Well, look, I mean, considering that there's two different undeads, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cut over to the United Kingdom and they're like, okay, so like the quests are on the table, but our number one priority right now is to get Miss Juez, like, even if it takes us all the way up to, like, the quest deadline, because we just need her. She's that vital. So let's go get her, and then we can take out these superior rules. Uh, do we have any leads? And she's like, so I know a bit about Miss Juez as the leader of her fan club, so I'm going to give you some detail. And she starts going. She's like, she's a cool, beautiful woman whose long hair is never caught off guard. Her smile is the kindest you've ever seen and she has a habit of closing her mouth with a closed fist and she excels at swordplay on par with Miss Yusai of all these sorts of things and they're like uh hey is that her on TV <laughs> and they just point over to a TV where there's a woman who just won a, fi- uh, a fencing championship uh Julia Eustichia Stichia? Julia Eustichia <laughs> Julia Eustichia uh yeah I guess that's the pun she's justice um and they're like, oh, wow, this is your first, not, not only your first tournament one, but the first one you've ever entered. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, it just really clicked with me. And they allowed you to win the tournament? That's crazy. And Fugo's just like, oh, that's her. <laughs> and they're like, you, you said she was, like, cool, though, because she has, like, very short hair now, as we saw in the previous loop and everything like that. And she's like, no, it's it's her. And like, but her hair's not long. She's like, well, it's her. Okay, but, and then she's just like, it's her. I'm trying to tell you, okay? What do you mean she's not cool? Look at her. I think. <laughs> Short hair cuties. That's She is. She does look much cuter than she did in the previous one. Uh-huh. Well, I um, think she's also supposed to be a lot younger as well. I, th- I think that that, I mean, she does definitely have much more of a, like, small cutie kind of yeah. uh, design than, you know, tall regal badass kind of vibe uh they say that she has only been uh sword fighting for a week too so uh she very strong yeah she's very very powerful uh looks like that that's where we're moving i'll be curious to see if we're also then going to close in on the other four members or what they decide to do with that uh but that's where we're at i think it's a fun time it seems like it's going to be priority one to recruit Juiz, but uh, definitely, I mean, the other four have to be right around the corner because we got that big spell, splash page last time, cutting between all five of them. Uh, yeah, uh, it, this isn't uh, the big thing that really interested me this week was just the fleshing out of Apocalypse's character, demonstrating that he's grown some form of attachment to at least one person through all of the many loops that they've spent together, which makes sense. I mean, like, you know, how long can you stay hostile, hostile towards someone that you're hanging out with for thousands of years? Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, we'll see if anything comes of that, I guess. Yeah, we'll see what happens here. Blue box. Blue box. 
Chapter number 130, I'm borrowing one. Uh, hey, it's the basketball tournament, and Jinatsu and company are progressing through it. Uh, they they win their first match, and uh, everyone's you know happy afterwards. Jinatsu is kind of still keeping herself restrained. Uh, she's you know exchanging texts with Taiki. She says, "Hey, we won our first game." And he gives her congratulations back, uh, and she tells everyone like, "Hey, come on, you know we should get back to school and practice. You know, keep keep sharp and everything." But they hear some ruckus because there's another match going on at the same time. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. You got to watch it. There's this one player who's crazy talented. They go over and they watch. And, of course, it's Yumeka leading Saisho high and kicking ass. Uh, Which, by the way, high school women's basketball. This is a high scoring game. (laughs) (laughs) What was the 89? 89 to 71. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. Usually high school games aren't jumping into the 80s. Not nearly. Uh, but th- that's a very comfortable margin of victory as well. Mm-hmm. You know, up up you know, more than a quarter of your opponent's total score at that point. And they're like, man, you make us. She's great. Yeah, it's nearly like she 20 points. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they also, you know, reiterate something that was established last time when going over the, the, the tournament ladder, which is these were the second best team in the prefecture last year that they just creamed like this. Uh-huh. And Chinatsu just thinks to herself while she's watching, like, Yumeka's back. The Yumeka that I always admired is back. And of course, they're rivals now. Uh, she heads out of the arena and we cut over instead to Taiki. And hey, tournament prep's coming in for him, too. Of course, they're getting set for the prefectural singles qualifiers. Uh, And so he immediately looks over the list and he realizes, okay, Yusa's in a different block from me. So I'm not going to see him early on. But then he realizes that something else is happening. He is set to face Haru in the semifinals. And of course, there's only two slots for nationals, so the winner of the semifinals is who gets to go to nationals. So whoever wins gets to go. Whoever loses their match doesn't get to go to nationals. Uh Oh, uh, but, uh, how are you just kind of, you know, laughs it off a little bit and says, huh, somehow I had a feeling that this was going to happen. And smirks at Taiki and says, talk about unlucky. And Taiki realizes I've got to beat him. Like, I, I can't go to Nationals if I don't beat him. Shit. Uh-huh. Uh, back over to Chinatsu. It's uh, raining outside at the end of their practice. Ch- uh, Chinatsu says she's going to stay behind, get a little bit more in. Uh, but she's just kind of sitting on the floor. And uh, is, she thinks about Taiki a little bit. So uh, she, But she gets a call from her dad. Uh, who asks her how things are going. And uh, he says, you know, I heard that the qualifiers for Nationals just started. Good luck. After all, that's why you stayed in Japan. You're a smart kid, Shinatsu. You took into consideration the responsibility of living away from your parents, the feelings of those who helped you work for your goals, and you're still there with the determination to compete. Make sure you do a good job. Which is a very, like, cold thing to do yeah very like cold and clinical of like you've done a good job being a child responsibilities have been put upon you you have done them excellent 
Continue existing. <laughs> Continue to do that. Good job. Otherwise, you will have wasted everything. <laughs> yeah. We are not massively disappointed in you yet. Carry on. That could, that could change. Yes. But we could also end up being very proud. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Uh, she doesn't look too happy to have gotten this call. Uh, yeah, she does not uh, seem to have any particularly fond relationship with her parent. Yeah. So she gets up, she heads out onto the court, uh, but she heads over to the badminton club area. She's still the only one in the gym, uh, but she walks over to a basket and she just grabs a shuttlecock out of it. And then she kind of pauses and then turns and rushes off and she's like, I'm going to borrow this. <laughs> Very cute. Uh, she wants a little good luck charm uh, for what she's going through. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, over to Taiki and Kyo says to him, like, hey, so girls basketball team's got a game today, right? And uh, Taiki says, yep, third match. Kyo, Kyo, looks at Taiki, who's uh, doing, doing sit-ups. He says, do you want to go cheer them on? Going up against Yumika, it's a big game. And Taiki says, I mean, yeah, I, I want to go, but I got to go prepare to face Haru in the tournament. I got to practice. I got to get ready. And Kyo stares at him for a second, and then he says, you know, if I remember correctly, the reason you were inspired to go to Nationals was Chinatsu-senpai. And yeah, it's important for you to focus on polishing your skills, but it's also important for you to be in the right mindset for your tournament. So I think you're allowed to go. Yeah. Hey, kid. Turns out every second of your life does not need to be devoted to getting better at sports. You're allowed to enjoy yourself and go be there for an important moment for your fucking girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a moment where Taiki pauses and looking up, is looking up at him. There's a little panel where Taiki's like, can you guarantee that? No. So Taiki does have to make the decision himself. Like, he's yes. not being told, go do it. He's saying, like... You have to make this call for yourself, kid. You, mm. But he gets up and he's like, you're a good guy, Kyo. And he rushes off. And Kyo says, yep, sure am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also like that Ayame has heard at least part of this conversation. But, you know, she doesn't realize it, all of what's going on. Because she doesn't know that Junatsu and Taiki are dating. So. Yeah. Uh, yep, and this is the note that we leave off on, is that uh, Aimei and Saisho, Jinatsu and Yumika's teams are getting set to square off. And Jinatsu's got the little the little shuttlecock that she stole uh, in, yeah. under under her clothes, so she's got her little good luck charm with her. So, yeah, sports, but not too much sports. It's yeah. important to have a strong relationship. Yeah, this is a romance sports manga. Thank you very much. Um, this is cool. I feel bad because I clearly read like half this chapter and then had to stop for some reason and then forgot to finish it because I was like, I don't remember any of this. I don't remember any of this. But this is very, very cute. Uh, I do like her taking a little shuttlecock as like a good luck charm for herself. I like her even being like, I'm borrowing one. Like you could just fucking take it. I think they're like a nickel. <laughs> Like, mm -hmm. um, but she's a very good uh, egg, and I feel bad that she doesn't have an affectionate parent. Uh, and I hope she's excited when she sees Taiki. I think this is going to end poorly for her. Again, I've said I, I think that she is going to fail in her trip to nationals, uh, and it would be very fitting if she lost to Yumika's team. 
Yeah. Uh, I shouldn't say fitting, but it would be very poetically written, I guess. Yeah. Um, but we shall see. Yep, we'll see how it goes. Boruto 2 Blue <laughs> Vortex. It's Chapter 5 Target. Okay, so bunch of things happened last chapter. To recap that very briefly, the fucking chakra trees are people now. Uh-huh. Not only are they people, they're people based on the people who have been turned into chakra trees, as in Bug, Sasuke, and a woman. So we learned, we got confirmation that Sasuke was, you know, encompassed in a chakra tree at the end of the last chapter, and we get a flashback that really, really quickly goes through it the, was some of the training that Boruto and Sasuke did together. Really quickly. They were like, hey, what was uh, training with Sasuke like? like? Well, it was intense. I had to cut things. I had to cut things with a sword. And what else? Hey. And he's like, uh, I've mastered all of his techniques, but I still sometimes accidentally call him old man Sasuke instead of master. Correct myself. You're like, well, that's kind of a weird thing, but all right, whatever. Weird. What else happened? Then we got attacked and he got we turned got into a tree. Also, to get in touch with my Uchiha training, I had this, my hair going over my eyes to look more like Sasuke. This is the craziest part. Is this intentional that he also gave himself like a shitty emo haircut? Because it's the moment really Sasuke gets turned into a tree, he like No, I'll slick it back. You know, he doesn't slick it back. His the fucking wind blows and blows it back, and I guess it just stays that like what what does this mean? Like Okay. Oh, God. Kishimoto clearly thought two things of this were very, very cool. One, he thought he thought it was very, very cool if, if Boruto had Sasuke's hair and then it blows back into the original uh, Boruto hairstyle. That's very dumb. Two, he thought it'd be very, very cool if uh, Boruto calls him old man Sasuke and then corrects himself to master because that's like the emotional closure is Sasuke's been turned But then he tree. keeps on doing it. Yeah. He like grabs the sword. He's like, I'll save you, old man, Sask. I mean, master. And I'm like, again, how long have you, how have you not gotten that? That's like what you call him. Like this can't have been a new thing. I imagine it takes some time to learn some of these techniques. You know, whatever. It's There's been two years. We're like they're talking together, and he's referring to him as master. So it's like he just forgets when Sasuke's not there. As soon as he's not there, he's like, "Oh right, no wait, that's my master. Oh right, my master, old man." Sa- I mean, my master. master. Yeah. <laughs> He does it in front of the man's own daughter. Like <laughs> the hair is the stupidest thing, though. It's this, so this, dumb. this truly—I don't know if it makes the year-end list. There's so many wild moments, but it, it, it is baffling to me the idea that, like, while he trades, his hair gets emo, but then the wind blows afterwards, and it's like boom, fucking right back to perfectly coiffed uh, Boruto hair. It's also like, thank God that this this montage is so quick to go through their actual training because Sasuke doesn't have any actual substantial advice to give Boruto and what we see. It's... He just says, you have already ta- learned everything I have to teach you. You just need to practice. Okay, that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's you're, it. you're a genius who fucking rules. You've mastered everything. And it's like, all right, well, like, what 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 should I do next? He's like, well, I have no idea. <laughs> But practice, I don't know. Yeah. He'll he'll figure it out. You're like a spark. Hey, watch me cut off Coat's eye off screen. Ah! (laughs) 
happens off panel. Toad loses an eye off panel. Again, such a weird, like, you flip the page and they're like, now we're in the fight. And I'm like, oh, Code was here? He did run it? Like, you would not have really gleaned that from the conversation I feel like they had just had. Uh, like what two chapters ago or whatever right uh but yeah code attacked them because he's like sasuke you uh so he he manages to send a whole bunch of the claw grimes and then again we don't really see much a fight happened and then sasuke got turned into a tree and you're like how emotional yep uh so that's how Boruto ended up with Sasuke's sword, is that Sasuke got turned into a tree, and he took it, uh, and he's like, mm, I will avenge you, master, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we cut over to to Konoha. Konohamaru is called over by some ninja, and they're like, ah, over here, Moegi's been turned into a chakra tree! I sat here, and I was like, Moegi! Again, I had gloves on, I couldn't, like, go to Naruto-opedia to Moegi. be like... <laughs> Who the fuck is Moegi? So uh, they know that she's not dead, of course, because she's been turned into a tree. Uh, is this a the... character? Is this someone who's shown up before, Nick? Yes. Moegi has shown up as Konohamaru's friend. Ah, That's right. Konohamaru has sidekick characters, Quinn. Well, he, has... <laughs> he, he deserves them. He's been through a lot. This... So we learn from this that the jester-looking lady uh, chakra tree person is from Moegi. That's her source ninja person. This is like if you introduced an evil Johnny Quick or something like that. Like, how dare you introduce an evil nega version of Johnny Quick? You're lucky I even know who Johnny Quick is. <laughs> Just the sidekick of a third string hero or something like that. I don't even know, but it's uh, yeah, I'm lucky that I knew who this was before we even turned the page. Ah, oh, the evil person is based off them. So we get a conversation between the chakra tree people uh, who essentially say like, I can sense the emotions of people around my chakra tree right now for some reason, by the way, Evil Moegi's name is Matsuri. That is a name that has already been used in Naruto before. So <laughs> <laughs> now we all remember this. This one. one's going to be much more important than the other one, admittedly. Uh, so, uh, literally, I think that the only thing that she's a girl that likes Gara. I think that's the only thing that is relevant about her. She, she's a girl in the sand in the sand ninja land that likes Gara. That's it. Someone's so, say, someone saying she was part of the kid trio with Konohamaru. And I'm like, where where do you remember this? Like how? I guess I guess if she you had have a effect... couple of appearances that were probably expanded in the filler of the okay. anime. Yeah. Uh, she would show up sometimes when Konohamaru showed up when he was like, I'm gonna be a ninja and also these kids like you too, Naruto, and that's basically it. Uh so lead tree guy uh, says to everyone, like, we may be one unit, biologically speaking, but each of us have different awarenesses and the emotions you Matsuri are fearing. Those are yours alone. We all have a single existence known as the divine tree, but we are experiencing an unprecedented state 
in which we each possess independent consciousness. So he said, establishes like, we're still trying to do the same thing as in devour the world. And by devouring Otsuki, Boruto and Kawaki, but each of us is developing in unexpected ways because we are each conscious now. Uh, and because of that, they have like different individual desires as well. But they're also talking about this in a way that like they're still trying to figure it out. So it's kind of actually fairly straightforward in explaining that. So he says, look, I feel like I instinctively want to specifically devour Uzumaki Naruto. Ada is watching all this with her Senrigan, her surveillance camera ability. And she's, you know, just sitting like at a diner somewhere with a drink in her hand. She's like, why the hell does he want to eat Naruto? And they, they're talking it over. And he says, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's just some sort of instinctive drive that I have. And I think that if we follow those instincts, that will allow us to evolve further. Uh, so Matsuri says that she wants to devour Konohamaru. Okay. Jura, who is, uh, that's, Jura is the leader guy. And, uh, the Sasuke one says, what the hell are we? And Jura's like, it doesn't matter. K. So, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not ready to explain that part yet. But, but he says to the Sasuke person, you, Hidari, should have your own targets. Uh, and so Ada's still watching stuff. The bug one gets up and walks over to Ada's position as she's watching over stuff. And he says, you're watching, ain't you, Ada? My target is you. And over on her side of things, Ada, like, drops her drink in shock. And it, in theory, it's a cool thing that could have happened, as in, like, oh, the guy that I'm remotely watching specifically came over to me and talked to me as if I were actually there and said he was going to kill me, and that freaked me out. The way that the panels are laid out mutes the hell out of yeah. the impact of this moment. Like, as soon as he turns, you know, like, oh, he knows that she's there and is going, and oh, he's walking over to her, so he's going to threaten her. Okay. If, like, if- it's. Yeah, if Ikimoto was more, I really don't want to say more talented as an artist. That feels so, like, brutal. But if there was more, like, care paid to the paneling, you absolutely could turn this into a terrifying moment. Because, like, in a vacuum, I could see how this code claw grime or bug claw grime is terrifying. I don't remember if they gave him a name. I, I don't know if I'm going to remember it. It's, it's the... Uh, grime grime bug bug grime grime bug grime bug that's a cool band name um so like i can see how that design would be terrifying especially if it turned towards you and you placed a lot of shadow and emphasis on how terrifying it is where they're like watching are you i've decided my target is you and you're like you play into like this terror of yeah. it and like then she zoom in up. on his face yeah i'm like it just but... feels like there's nothing there it's just a, a moment that you're like ah this could have been very cool but yeah and the sasuke claw grime chakra tree guy uh hidari says that he is going to be targeting serata so it's kind of weird because it's like okay so we've got a couple people here that seem to be going after specifically people that their originals had a close emotional attachment to 
And then it's just like, well, who should Bug go after? I don't know, Ada. I, I, I get that. He's like, you're my enemy. It would make more sense if he was like, I'm going to go after Code. Um, yeah. But like, I can get it. And also, you want somebody to be going after Ada. Otherwise, yes. she's this omnipotent being who's just going to watch everything and tell everyone what's happening. Right. Yeah. If, you're, if you went to all this trouble of making her seem important to the story, have her be involved in things. Yes. Yeah. Meanwhile... Amado and Sumire are hanging out in a room together. And uh, so Sumire is like kind of like casting some sidelong looks at him. And Amado is eventually like, what, what is it? And and he says, and she says, well, Boruto's back. Yeah. But Konoha's still trying to kill him. Well, yeah, he killed the village leader. But she thinks to something that Amado had said <sighs> back when he was explaining why he was going to work with Konoha, which is that his daughter's data has been added to Kawaki's karma, which is the only way that he has to revive her legitimately, like with her soul intact. Remember, that was a thing because he like revived her with the he, he tried to revive her and it didn't work. So Sumeria says, you know, wouldn't it be a problem for you if Boruto's killed because you wanted him back for your daughter because Kawaki and Boruto switched places for everyone. And Amato says... I sprung Boruto out of Kara's clutches with Kashin Koji's help to take Ishiki down. After Ishiki died, I embedded his my daughter's DNA. He just repeats all the stuff that, that Sabiri remembered. So mm-hmm. he, he repeats all that stuff. And he says, Kawaki, for whatever reason, his body is a scientific ninja tool, but no one knows who modified him or when, despite him being the Hokage's son. But it's clear to me that I gave him those modifications. And Samira, of course, is taken aback by this. She's like, Why, how, how do you know that? And he says, I, I know because I recognize my own handiwork. No one else could have done it. I recognize, you know, the telltale signs that I made those modifications. And it's the same with his karma. I can tell it's not one that I implanted in him. For some reason, that data is on Kawaki's palm instead. These all contradict my memory, but in light of this evidence, I have to conclude that my memory has been altered. And he says all this very casually and very deadpan. So he says, like, look, Boruto doesn't possess the karma that I need to provide my daughter. Kawaki does. Okay. Also, he's under surveillance. Bunch of surveillance people, including Sai and Shikamaru, are listening in on this whole conversation. And Sai's like, what the hell do you think about what they just said, Shikamaru? And Shikamaru doesn't say anything. We cut to a different scene. We don't get to see how they, how they feel about this. So Sumire and Sarada meet up to exchange notes. And they're like, wait, why is Amato aware that his memory has been rewritten? Because every other case that we have shown, physical evidence does not affect people's altered memories. They do not doubt their own memories even when you show them a picture of the Uzumaki family with Boruto as a child with his family they still don't get it so why does Amato see through that and they're like oh I guess certain people just can't they don't know okay <laughs> so let's move on it's not important just move on move on anyway so then they they think like okay yeah most people just can't doubt their own memory but Serata thinks about how her father did when she came to him and begged him for help 
he still was able to see past it. And she's like, yeah, but my dad did. And then Barter shows up. He's like, yeah, old man Sasuke, rather master Sasuke believed in me. Fuck off. Like, why are you doing this? So uh, they they turn around. And, yeah, Boruto's there and he's got his stupid cape on. And he's, and he's like, yeah, he risked his life to save mine. And Serata j- like d- teleports into into <laughs> hugging him uh and uh big big old hug he like is surprised and kind of like starts to return it and sarai's like you're late you stupid bored so and then he gives her a hug he's like sorry i'm home now okay so it's very fucking anime the you're late stupid Boruto. Like, okay it's fine again it's- it's all solid six out of ten moments. Uh, you know, that's the height Boruto is reaching at this point. This chapter is there is a little bit of garbage in it in terms of like the Amato stuff and some of the other little bits here and there, including Boruto's stupid old man Sasuke, Master Sasuke. It's like, why are you doing that? But honestly, this is I say objectively, it's not objectively, but you know. From a detached perspective, this is the best chapter that Boruto has had in a long fucking time. Yet, it only rises to the level of, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Fine. This should be the floor for a series that is good. Just establish certain things that aren't that interesting, but are important. At this point, I would consider a series good, or a Boruto chapter good, if it just had less talking in it like i think there was a chapter that was mostly action i was like this might be the best boruto chapter because there was less time for characters to talk and say stupid shit that i don't care about and that's the same situation here like some moments i'm like i kind of get this in a vacuum like you know kishimoto is not like completely devoid of the ability to tell stories um but like i at this point have come to realize how boring a lot of this stuff is and I just like it when when two characters in Boruto sit in a room, it ends up happening a lot with Amato. Um, I just don't understand what I am supposed to like. I just I don't know. My mind wanders at that point. I don't want to sit there and pay attention to these two characters talking anymore. I fully understand that. Just Amato talking like a robot in that scene is like, let me explain. Just <sighs> all right. It's Chainsaw Man time. It's chapter 151, The Return of Chainsaw Man. Uh, last time, things started to go bad because, uh, yeah, the, uh, the the apartment, uh, Denji and Nayuta's apartment was getting burned down by Barum and company. Uh, Fumiko showed up to with some help uh, to stop him. But the Whip Devil attacked them and uh, killed one of them and uh, knocked Fumiko on her ass. And uh, one of the other uh, the other two uh, devil people just grab her and take her hostage. And she's like, what the hell? We got you guys. And the Whip Devil says the public safety is in such disarray right now because of all the chaos that they just let us escape. Mm. They couldn't keep an eye on them. So Fumiko better have a cool ass devil. At some point when they reveal, like mm. she better, she better have some like cool ass devil that she uses or something. Yeah, she's uh, kind of just getting her ass kicked right now. Yeah. Uh, Denji says, "You monsters!" Uh, but the sword devil says, "Don't misunderstand, Denji. 
Yes, we set your home on fire, but only because it's the key to saving the world. And Denji has a very understandable reaction, which is, wait, what? <laughs> and the sword devil says, every part of our rampage of terror is connected to stopping Nostradamus' prophecy. And Denji's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, and he's like, yeah, unleash your anger. If you do, you'll save the world, dude. And the whip devil thinks this is hilarious because um, I guess she doesn't give a shit. She just wants to kill people, I think. Barum gets up. He's uh, not dead. Uh, so Nayuta lashes out with her control ability. Chain goes out and spikes him through the head. Uh, and Barum you know, lurches backwards. And Nayuta says, bite your tongue off and die. But he gets to his feet and staggers towards her instead and grabs her by the neck. And yes, I know that Naita is the control devil and uh, has done some bad things, even under Denji's care. She still is a kid. Yeah. Uh, so, this is not she's great. A, she's a child and you just killed all of her dogs. Yeah. Uh, and Baram says, like, yeah, it looks like you can't take control of us. Is that because my body is still under Ms. Makima's rule or because my heart belongs to her even now? All right, calm down. Chill out, bud. <laughs> uh, and he says that if Makima were alive, she could have used Denji's power to defeat the Death Devil and there would have been a peaceful world. But you, Chainsaw Man, you destroyed our promise of peace and you've been lapping up the peace public safety it pro provides you. These flames are your punishment. All right, asshole. Yeah, chill out, bro. Yeah, it's not cool. You killed some dogs. What did they ever do? Uh, Nayuta takes control of one of the public safety guys and gets him to pick up his gun and shoot Barum in the head. Very cool. <laughs> Good job. And then she calls out for Denji. And Denji looks around for a bit. Everyone reacts for a second. And then he grips his chest where the ripcord is. And he looks over towards the flames and he sees Pachita waving to him. And Pachita is waving goodbye to a carefree child, Denji. Aww. And Denji tears at the ripcord, rips through off his shirt as Naita rushes to him. Uh, and his chainsaw comes out of his head and he starts to transform. And Naita looks up and she says, why are you laughing? And she's looking over at what looks like a burning cross, which, of course, it seems like it could just be, you know, like, you know, the cross beams of like, you know, the apartment building and stuff. But I don't know. There's one person that I know that's shaped like a cross that would laugh at this and I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that'd be so cool. He's like, I showed up. You all die. <laughs> Um, uh, weird, weird, very weird note to end on right here. Yes. Because uh, Naita seems to be reacting to something that no one else is. Everyone else is, of course, too busy looking at Denji turning into Chainsaw Man. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's well, more like yeah, he's 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 lost it at this point. He he realizes he's giving up his carefree life at this point by becoming Chainsaw Man, and he just laughs because he's he's like, I don't know what else to do, uh, mm -hmm. and it's very very sad. Uh, I don't know if that's supposed to be the flame devil uh, that we're seeing, like the the part that kind of 
cuts people out in this. I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be like a sound effect reference or anything like that. It'll be interesting to see, but uh, this is uh, quite a heavy chapter. Yeah. Uh, this definitely seems like a very tragic thing that has happened here. Yeah. Um, even though Denji, of course, has established that he wants to be Chainsaw Man, but this is also in a way sad because, yeah. you know, yeah. All right. I'll be right Dr. Stoon, 4D Science, Chapter 2D, Future Roadmap. So last time we ended on the note of they were getting a message from the future, which, of course, everyone thought seems like was impossible, not because of the time travel stuff, but because the message arrived from Vyakya, Senku's father. And uh, so, you know, Rishi's like, oh, shit. Well, if he did that, that means that we can make a time machine with neoscience and unravel every last mystery, right? Uh, Senku, you know, reels in shock for a little bit, but they proceed onward, start laying out a big roadmap so that they can create their time machine, uh, get a bunch of stuff uh, set up for it, which includes making a giant ass city in space. Uh, yeah, they're going to build the time machine, not on Earth, but on the moon. But of course, in order to get all the resources to the moon, it's going to be a problem. Because all every time that you take stuff to the moon, the cargo can only amount to 10% of the payload. The rest of it has to be fuel to get there. So uh, that they realize, like, oh, this is going to be a problem. Kaseki starts talking about, like, oh, something tells me this time I won't be around to see the fruits of our labor. Not that I won't work just as hard. Aww. It's okay, Kaseki. We have the key to immortality. You'll be fine. Uh, they start, you know, kind of trying to think of ideas for what they could do in order to, you know, get stuff to the moon more efficiently. Uh, and Kohaku, you know, talks about how, like, you know, hey, you know, when we were traveling through space, we used like slingshot effects in order to use the momentum of given to us by, you know, revolving around. Uh, gravitational wells in order to propel us towards our goals so maybe we could find a way to you know like zip straight up instead and that would make the trip a whole lot faster so Suika gets an idea and she starts scribbling down some ideas uh, and Chrome and Kuhaku come over and are like oh you got you got an idea and Suika gets really embarrassed she hides the plans and tries to crumple them up but Chrome grabs them and unfolds them and he starts to think of a big idea so he and Suika start to work on it. And uh, when they go off to do so, and they're like, oh, we've got an idea. Uh, this was, you know, this was, you know, Suika's idea, but, you know, we've got a demonstration here. And Kohaku is going to demonstrate for them. And she's cut off her ponytail. And she's also wearing um, a different dress. She's got the E equals MC squared that Senku usually wears. And it's like, all right, is this just like an image update for, for Kohaku? Well, no, because she just goes back to her regular appearance about 10 pages later. So I don't know why they did this in particular, but whatever. Anyway, the reason she cut off her hair is because she has turned her hair into a string to form a giant lasso thing. And they're like, yeah, so if we've got a weight on the end of the string, and then we've got a... Uh, a satellite essentially that would travel along the momentum of it. So if we were to have this massive tether go all the way out into space, oops, then you could revolve it around the planet. The string would stay taut and you could have free elevator rides for life. And so everyone's like, yeah, this is a great idea, isn't it? We call this idea. And of course, in typical, 
Dr. Stone fashion. Chrome is giving this big explanation of this invention. And Senku's like, oh yeah, space elevator. And immediately Chrome and Suika are like, oh, we wasted our time on this idea. The pratfall has this happened throughout the series a whole bunch. But Senku reveals, well, actually, this invention never existed uh, in the old world. It was only entirely theoretical. Because yes, you know, it's a great idea in theory, but how the hell do you have a thread that stretches all the way into space without it just collapsing and snapping under its own weight? There's no material that, of that size that could withstand that amount of force. Yes, there is in this series. And they realize, the reason that they had this string is that because like, oh, it's Kohaku's hair, which is very, very strong. And like, what? Wow, really? A cable made of hair? And Kohaku's is like, yeah, my hair is really strong. Like, no, that's that's not it. That's that, <laughs> that's not the reason it's strong. But it's just strong as his hair. But then Senku has a brain blast, and he remembers when they did go into space, a single hair got into all of the circuitry of their ship and gunked everything up when it was petrified. So they try petrifying the hair that they've made the string out of, and they realize, like, oh my god, it's really, really, really strong, and also it's conductor. It's like, wow, what a great material. Cog is like, yep, my hair, it's great. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not the reason. It's, it's great. It's just, it's the petrification of the hair that's specifically doing it. Did we talk about how cute she looks with the short hair? She does look nice. It's I nice like the short hair. I was, well, is it a redesign? Because I feel like by the end, they're like, actually, her she wears like- a different. It's a very brief redesign. I was just saying this. Like, she like changes her dress. She's got like the equals MC squared symbol on it now and, and everything. And it's like, all right, cool. And then like months go by, she just grows it back. It's like, I was like, oh, oh. Well, all right. Hmm. Sigh. So they they start experimenting with that. And they're like, okay, well, we need to have hair that we could produce this with. And it's like, well, we need something that can produce a lot more of this. So they go out, they grab a bunch of spider webs and petrify that. They specifically are using Y-Man's ability to petrify a different material instead of humanity. And they also make a note of like, oh, we can't see the flash anymore. And that's because it's invisible to anything that it's not targeting. So they you know, petrify some spider webs and stuff. They're trying to do that. But then they realize like, oh man, even when they're getting all these spider webs, this isn't nearly enough for mass production. What are we going to do? And I immediately was like, get some fucking silkworms if you're going to do this. Uh, but fortunately, they don't go, they don't they don't belabor the point very, very long. Um, oh, gosh, I've forgotten her name. I was, I was, uh, Which whatever. OK, <laughs> craft, craft, crafts girl. Uh, so uh, I, you something. Useriha. 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 I was we, feeling really ashamed because like she was the third character named in this series. We, that was a tag team. I came up with a letter or a sound. And you got it from there. There we go. So they go, you know, and they harvest a bunch of silkworm cocoons, petrify that, have a lot of material. And yeah, it's insanely strong now. And so they land, oh my God, this will take us to space and stuff. A silk road of science. Uh, so they've got the material for the cable. They start experimenting with it. Uh, like having just like a single strand of the silk dangling over a waterfall and Kohaku, you know, is is the experimental person with it. She you know, goes sliding down and she's like, oh, man, it's really, really smooth. And so you slide down it really easily, but then it's really hard to get back up. But they've got a plan for that because, of course, it's a conductor. So you can run electricity current down through it. And as a result of that, 
you can use electromagnetism to travel, just like using a linear motor car or a bullet train. Uh, and they, you know, Senku spends a little bit of time explaining this principle and how, you know, like you can use magnets to provide frictionless travel and stuff. Uh, this is also getting like reported around the world as we see Minami carrying on her duty there. So we get this big two-page spread of Kohaku riding up the the, the test cable uh, with this like magnet car thing. She gets all the way up to the top of the waterfall. There's very suddenly a very weird, random, very romantically like shot image of <laughs> yes. her right next to Senku, which again, last chapter they started playing that up a little bit, so not completely like. Uh, but like in the context of this chapter, comes out of nowhere and is not followed up on at all. <laughs> well, it's it's because it's part of the commercial, isn't it, or or what they're showing to people. I thought that's what that was supposed to be. Is Cause, it? Because then we see people watching it on the TV. I thought I it guess. was okay. I maybe I, I don't know. Then, but they're I, watching Suika and and Chrome in the car when it's on the TV. But isn't she on it? She jumps off and then next to Senku and it, okay. In my mind, I thought that's what they were supposed to see. And it, it, it was just like, ah, this is a romantic thing for the people. It'll boost their spirits or whatever. But it might just, it might just be, let's, let's play with these two a little bit and ship them a little I, bit harder. I guess. So, yeah, they're going to make a massive goddamn elevator cable that goes all the way into space. Uh, they have to make a massive goddamn structure for this, of course. Uh, but as they're working on it, Ryusui realizes that something is up. He's, it's just a matter of like intuition. And he's like, my intuition's never off about this. Uh, and he just starts thinking about like, we're all rushing towards this time machine. Everything's going great. This There's this elevator in orbit, you know, something that's, that we're on the verge of accomplishing that's never been done before. It all feels like it's going too well it's as if we're following a roadmap to the future charted by someone else but wait we thought that senku's dad sent a message from the future could byakia actually be uh and there is a problem where something happens where like you know as they're producing more and more silk usury is like oh the raw silk's not turning to stone anymore and the y-man says excess use of petra beam nearly expired is my battery hmm but this is also kind of suspicious uh so because like there's also something happening where like the battery when it's being replaced they're like i thought that this was only when it was used over a wide area but this was all very like precise small scale stuff that's been happening Ryusui gets in communication with some people around the uh, around the world, and they establish that, yeah, we're having like a mosquito-free summer here. No other parts of Japan are having that. It's isolated to just this region we're working in. So he calls for a bunch of his men to mobilize and start a scavenger hunt. Uh, and uh, Francois has already like foreseen this, and they get it going. And then we see shortly afterward, Ryusui grabbing just a goddamn katana off the wall and marching over to Y-Man. And, and he says, what's the deal with Byakya? This is sad, but what did we expect? You ain't human, Y-Man. You went across the line. You have no business of crossing. And he starts drawing his sword. <gasps> uh, 
And this is all like, well, no one else is there, so nobody else knows what's going on. Gen and Chrome and Senku are out after, are coming in after a day, a long day of work, and they realize that his workers are running around. Uh, and one of them drops a petri dish, and there is a petrified mosquito within it. And Ryusu and Senku realizes something is bad here. Uh-huh. So that's the end of our chapter. What's going on? Is Y-Man going to try and betray everyone? What's happening? It would be wild if they were like, actually, I know we spent the last, uh, the end of the last series was like, there actually is one good one and it'll be here to help unite yellow humanity forward. Um, But actually, no, this one was a dickhead. This one (laughs) also kind of a fuck. So uh, sucks, but what are you going to do? There's all sorts of different things could be happening. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have any theories as to what could be happening? It seems as though um, I th- the su- suggestion seems to be that Y-Man faked the radio broadcast from the future in order to get humanity to work in this direction. That mm-hmm. seems to be the idea that we're working towards. Uh, it could be something very silly, on the other hand. It could just be like, I hate mosquitoes, so I petrified them all in this area, and that's it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which I can relate to. Um, but I think that it's going to be something that's like a moderation of that. I feel as if it were like, oh yeah, in order to have you guys try and work towards this goal, I faked it would be a little bit extreme, but maybe that's it. Yes. Um, I don't know where this is going to go in the long term, but it is still fun to see some of the character dynamic dynamics that we remember from back then and see them again. And, uh, it's, fun to see i guess where this is gonna go like that kind of was a a bit of the the fun of dr stone knowing this is so short of a series kind of takes a little bit out of that uh but also adds a bit like i know i'm gonna be in and out like i'm gonna see what happens here and then like you know i go to bed uh more or less you know right to cutting out all the chaff and just yeah Um, kaiju number eight i guess yeah nick now, after seeing Godzilla minus one, uh, my expectations for something involving kaiju is pretty high. Does this live up okay. to it? Uh, well, there's a bunch of kaiju attacking, uh, explosions happening, people mm. flying, sent being sent flying. But what about uh, the humans? What internal struggle are they going through? Well, uh, Kafka is trying to reach his good buddy Mina in order to help her against Kaiju Number Nine, uh, could, but he can't could, abandon. Could we put some love in there? Because love always makes things more beautiful. Maybe a found family of some kind. Uh, I imagine that Kafka would consider a lot of the people of his squad his found family. Oh, uh, well, now this is beautiful. Now I am yeah. excited and uh, looking forward to where this goes. So Kafka is in problem not because he can't make his way through the kaiju horde but because all the people around him are now in great danger because of the horde and he has to stay with them in order to fight them off uh like there are people in shelters that have kaiju about to blow up buildings and kafka has to start fighting them off and beating them up they're trying to break into shelters and stuff and uh he has to stop them and crush them and everything and Kaiju number nine is like, yeah, this is this should be no problem for you to do. You're the next strongest after me right now. But what about the hurt and fatigued officers? What will happen to them if you leave? You're stuck there. Actually, he doesn't say that, that Kafka is the strongest after him. He says the strongest after me above ground right now. Yeah. Which is interesting wording. Yeah, so. that is curious. 
Uh, but Kaiju number nine has just gotten done bragging about this, and then he nearly gets his head shut off, uh, shot off uh, because Mina's like, "I'm not just gonna stand here and take this. I'm gonna kill you." <laughs> yeah, I'm not just gonna let you uh, fucking kidnap and absorb me. Like I'm gonna try to kill you, fuckface. Yeah, she's like, "I'm gonna shoot you right now." Uh, so number nine's like, "All right, fine," and he starts launching his own attacks at her. She's dashing around. She's only got her handgun to work with because the cannon she had, I guess, got destroyed i don't really remember that happening i mean you wouldn't want to use a rifle like that in this situation since it's relatively close range like a sniper rifle like this would be because he's too small yeah it'd be really hard to like accurately get anything um but something may have happened to it maybe it got destroyed in the shot she did last i don't i don't remember the specifics of um whatever like three months ago or whenever that happened right we got a bit of a break there is also a cool little moment where she fires off a quick barrage of shots at number nine and he summons an energy shield to block them. And then immediately is like, oh, this isn't enough and has to uh, deflect it and use it to divert the blast instead. And she's like, shit, she cracked number two's hand shield with her freaking handgun. So, you know, she is still insanely strong even without her best weapon. But he realized, like, if I close the distance you're no better than an average captain. And he just, you know, shouldn't pose behind her to grab at her. Uh, and she manages to get one more shot off, but he dodges it and then grabs her by the face and tosses aside her gun and picks her up. And number nine gets a big evil villain speech while broadcasting to everyone, which is today. I bring down Tokyo. Then using Tokyo as a base, I will bring down the entire country. As proven by the number six cataclysm, which boasts the most human casualties of any single event, humans are extremely weak to a giant identified class kaiju. By absorbing Mina Ashiro, incorporating her into my creations, I will birth an army of giant number six class kaiju with superb shooting ability. And without Mina Ashiro, its trump card, humanity will have no way to stop them. And... Uh, he summons a bunch of teeth to devour Mina. And uh, yeah, that's the scary note that we end on is everyone is so busy fighting off kaiju that are right in front of them. Who's going to stop this? What's going to happen? That's kind of the note we left off on a couple of weeks ago, but this is very much solidifying where we are now. Yeah. So um, first and foremost, it's good that she didn't just get fucking like grabbed and like, aha pathetic when you have your sniper rifle taken away like she's allowed to put up a resistance and show that like she is like a trained soldier despite all that uh but he is you know currently fresh and ready to go and she just finished a fight and all this sort of stuff and he's he's getting to jump on her and all that sort of stuff so you know it it it, it keeps him from completely you know damseling mina which is appreciated um the way it ends is very similar to kind of the tone last time, which makes you think again, we are going to try to find somebody to save the day. People brought it before that Reno hasn't shown up mm-hmm. and has a, a kaiju weapon. So it would make sense if he shows up. Um, I'll be curious to see what happens here. Um, but there, there were a lot of little neat points as you brought up before a little nugget of like, I'm the strongest one above ground. So it's like, mm, curious what's going on. Yeah. there. It would be an interesting turn if this just, suddenly turned out to just like be the final battle with number nine like if reno shows up mina's able to get away and then you know maybe they buy enough time for kafka to show up and yeah. take this guy down 
Uh, I mean, everyone has had a, you know, a big battle uh, to individually showcase them. So it could be the case. And then we could just, you know, move on to the next thing. And we could reveal that, you know, number nine was birthed from an even stronger kaiju that is underground somewhere that they have to deal with or something along those lines. Um, I do highly doubt that Mina is going to get devoured here because number nine makes it seem like if that happens, it's just game over. So <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how they really come back from that if she gets grabbed too, because this uh, this guy already has Asso's powers, which is yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. Let's move on to Cipher Academy, chapter yeah. fifty-three. In case you're listening and maybe stop listening halfway, and you're like, "But, but Nick and Quinn, this is where you talk about uh, Eaton Zero." Usually, there's no Eaton Zero this week. We're free from it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mostly talking here just to give Nick a moment to rest his precious, precious voice. He's 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 so sensitive. His his voice it's so gravelly and powerful. It needs it needs time to heal, get stronger. Thank you. Uh-huh. It's Cipher Academy, Chapter Fifty Three, and yet the Earth still revolves (parentheses around war). <laughs> I great title. Uh, still looking forward to Ninja uh, is always a champion and excellent uh, has added a poll uh, elimination polls. Uh, we're going to do a best chapter title of uh, the year for, for Cypher Academy. But I also specifically uh, was allowed to put a wild card in and I was like, I don't remember the name of it, but the one that was like a paragraph long. And I, yeah. I, saw, I saw on the list of them, I was like, that one, tw- I think it was like 23 or 21. I was like, this one that's, every other one's like one to two lines. This one's like five lines. That's the one <laughs> that's in there. That's got to be in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also get it on the cover of this, uh, a little bit of the uh, previous trial puzzle that uh, Quokka had to uh, undergo. Apparently. I think this is so funny that they put the bear woman on trial. They put the bear on trial. We still yeah. don't know anything about her. I'm so curious what this court case was like. Apparently, a fish is important to the case, which uh-huh. makes sense. So that'd be great if she's like, and the honeypot. It looks like is yep. what uh, the other one has. So I really do like the idea. Like she is not see, a girl. As you can see, this pot is far too small for a full-size bear's head to fit inside of, but not a teenage girl's. <laughs> yeah, they're like, as you understand, if this was a real bear, it would have devoured this honey along with myself. Ergo. Can only be a teenage girl. Uh, Your Honor, I plead, oh, bother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, allowed. <laughs> Your Honor, I plead for uh, my client to be given just a smackerel body. <laughs> <laughs> just a, a single smackerel. <laughs> like, well... I'll allow it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, okay. Your Honor, I protest. This jury is clearly composed of lumps and woozles. Lumps and, <laughs> <laughs> and woozles. Jesus, you're pulling out a lot of Winnie the Pooh lore. I had forgotten about <laughs> half a lumps and. Oh man. Guess what? Guess what? Nick watched every day when he was four years old. Aww. <laughs> All right, chapter proper. Uh, So Iroha's group is on basement floor 199 of 500, the sewer floor. Uh, And so they start kind of planning a little bit in terms of strategy 
basically they start like road mapping their speed run uh, because they realize like, OK, look, there's normal floors that, that you could just, you know, break codes in order to proceed and they don't have any particular penalties. Then there's dangerous floors where there is a low risk penalty of getting banned to a high risk penalty of dying from an explosion, for example. Then there's the bonus stage floors, which have secret passages that allow you to warp. If you warp through someone else's sacrifice, we don't want to do that because we want to retain as many of the people in our group, of course, as possible, as much as we can. So it would be great if we could find these great areas to warp through. But Enzo also brings the point of like, yeah, but we don't want to spend too much time trying to find those things because then that's just counterproductive. So what if there was a pattern to figuring out where we could encounter them instead? So they start thinking about this, and then all of a sudden, uh, Omomuro shows up, and she's like, it's square numbers. There are secret passages on floors that are square numbers. They all carry a small risk, but that's the key. So they're like, oh, wow, wait, I thought you were ahead of us. And Iroha realizes, like, oh, my God, you got a game over when you were in the 200s and you're restarting. And you must have been warping in order to catch up to us after this. But they realize that Omoro's really, really, really tired. She, like, collapses next to them shortly afterwards. And Iroha realizes, like, no, this isn't just her first retry attempt. And he demands, like, to know how many runs have you been on during all this. And Omoro kind of realizes, like, oh, well, shit. Uh, she says, in terms of reaching floor B250, I got to floor B249 seven times and I'm on my eighth run now. Yeah, it's you know, it's a video game strategy. You know, you learn by dying, yeah. right? You speed run it. And like actually I do... found it if I smash my face against the billiards table, I actually just <laughs> clip through the ground and I can skip 17 floors that way. <laughs> it takes a lot of trial and error though. <laughs> yeah, my face will never be the same. Uh but they do also like you know make some references to like roguelikes and stuff and in, in, in terms of doing this which makes sense because you know you're proceeding through a bunch of different rooms in a row uh and so they're like oh yeah that's a valid strategy but in the you know uh peanut gallery Nohime says like no uh it's not because doing that is how i lost my eyes there we go interesting so uh, so they're like, all right, well, what do we do? What do we do now? Uh, Ensa wants to know if, like, hey, Omura, do you know about the prison floor? Because that's where Obero is stuck. And uh, she says in response, yeah, I haven't managed to reach that one. I was able to avoid all the irreversible pen penalties. And this floor, I know because I've been on it before, is one of the dangerous ones. Because if you get an answer wrong, you get hit by a flash flood. So you got to be careful. Uh and so they're like, well, what do we do with this? Uh, and Ensa is like, yeah, she's incredible. You know, she's still going. You know, she skipped a whole lot, but she's explored like 10 times as many floors as we have while she's been going on all these repetitive runs. But Iroha realizes like, this is worse than everyone else realizes about this. She has been suffering for like 100 hours straight and has been avoiding irreversible penalties, but there's other penalties that she's been suffering from purposefully so that she can find them and warn others against them so they can avoid them. And so he gets determined and says, hey, Omomoro, I challenge you to a code battle. 
And if I win, you have to log out. Uh, so he ties up his hair and he sets up his puzzle. He just scribbles on the wall a whole bunch of symbols. And uh, Ensa starts to explain like, hey, look, you know, Iroha is like he can communicate with facial expressions. So sometimes he doesn't fully explain things to people as a result of that. But Murrow's like, oh, like, I get what's going on. He's concerned about my safety. But come on, this is like humiliating. I'm trying to share intel with him and he's trying to discharge me for this. Come on. What an ego he's got. Uh, but Iroha has laid out the puzzle. Uh, and there are symbols that are very strange that are on the wall. Uh, and at first glance, Omura realizes, like, yeah, they look like hieroglyphics, but no, they're not. They're simplified constellations. Uh, and she immediately realizes, like, okay, you know, if you relate the constellations to syllables, blah, 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 then you've got a message spelled out, and she reads it as if it's that. Uh, and Iroha says, hey, you got a time limit of 30 minutes. Here's your hint. There are as many as there are stars in the sky. And while she's looking at the puzzle, he says, A parody Magaga, his dad, tricked me into coming to this school, but you were the first one to teach me how fun codes could be. If it wasn't for that battle, I wouldn't be here now. I wouldn't be anywhere. If Ambitious is the cheerleader I aspire to be, you're the cypher soldier I aspire to be. Even now, I look up to you like a star in the sky. Aww. It's so adorable. Look at this kid. And uh, while Omura's looking at him, the higher, the symbols he's drawn are twinkling like stars yeah. behind her. Aww. It's very, very sweet. I like the idea he's created like a puzzle that she can't figure out, but she's like, I get why you're trying to keep me from going forward. I get it. You're a good egg. So uh, she has deciphered the message uh, and she pulls out of, out of her pocket a recording device. It's like, look, I've encoded all the intel I acquired from class E and put it here. So please deliver it to Toshisai in my stead. Uh, it can be before you lose to her or after you lose to her. And you're like, how about before I beat her? All right. Yeah, fine. That's you. And she's <laughs> logs out and we see that the message translates to i vow to the stars i will deliver your dream to kyorarian whether i stumble or fall i whether i break or crawl i will fasten your no doubt emo message to an arrow <laughs> and pierce her heart with it <laughs> jesus uh and everyone's like huh yeah this is the first time i've ever seen her admit she lost and she actually solved the code too but yeah, she puts her trust in Iroha and we get uh, an establishment that there are now 13 players left in the game and we get a split panel two-page spread of all of them in the different points that they're in with uh, Iroha's group in the center. Their area is shaped like a lock as they're yes. rushing down the tunnel away from water. It's a very cute individual panel, but it's also really neat to see everyone else laid out and all the groups that they formed around them. Yeah, I like that we get to see the different uh, groups that are that are going on and what they're all up to. I love the different things we're seeing. Some of them are in a museum of some kind, like with sculptures. One of them, they have to make giant jigsaw puzzle pieces out of wood. Mm -hmm. uh, but the one that I really want to see, 
is the one that Toshisai uh, and Yugata are doing, which uh, just seems to be shopping. Shopping. <laughs> uh, I want to go to the shopping floor and, and figure out that code. That seems like that'd be a good time. Mm-hmm. And the question we're left with is, who of the remaining 13 will become the Code Emperor? Me. Uh, yeah, it could be. Why not? Could be me. Uh, it's yeah, it's a nice chapter just to kind of like reestablish like some like character interaction stuff. This was sweet. I mm-hmm. liked it. Yeah, it's good stuff. I enjoyed it. But Nick, it is time to talk about those green, green, greens. This is where the greens grow. Grass is always greener on the other side. Green with envy. Green grass and high tides. Chapter four. If I'm going to do this, if we're going to do this. Uh, says Haku, they need to establish rules and a handicap as he is getting set for his match with Chikara, where they're going to be in a driving contest. So Haku says, like, okay, look, let's just keep this nice and simple distance. Whoever, like, shoots the furthest wins. Uh And immediately the other workers are like, oh, my God, (laughs) the worst possible thing he could have selected for this. Uh. But again, the rules of the contest are nice and simple, which are like, okay, look, let's just hit 10 balls. Whichever one has the furthest drive wins. That'll make it nice and easy to name the winner. And Shikura's like, you sure about this? I This is my strength. Yeah, and this is, this I, is I, my I, wheelhouse, kiddo. Yep. And Aku's like, oh, you're so honest. You shouldn't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. Uh, what's his name? Haku is. Haku. He's really fun in this chapter. He's like, I wish you weren't such a good guy. Stop like giving me your details. Uh, I think that this chapter is a return to form for Haku's goofier side again. Oh. After he was just kind of being a little bit generically shown in the in the most recent couple, uh, he's very silly and shameless in this chapter. Uh. But he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're really good at this, and that's what'll make this a worthwhile contest, is me trying to overcome you. It's like, huh, what a weird protagonist thing. <laughs> but so uh the so Chikara's like, okay, what's what should the handicap be? And Haku names like a bunch of different it's options. So funny. Yeah, they all just go for me. Immediately is like this guy's really cowardly. Yeah, this guy goes like, he's like, wow, he's so cool. He doesn't even care what this handicap is. He's gonna do great. And he's like, uh, I should pick your club, you use old shitty balls, I get thirty extra yards for free. And they're like, never mind, he's a I get to kick you in the nuts in between <laughs> <Yeah>. every shot. <laughs> it comes very close to that at times. It's very much like, uh, fuck you, uh, you suck kind of stuff. Yeah, so and I do like that Haku just like obviously just like named options that he knew would be like good handicaps, but then he's uh, he seems legitimate. Like, what were those like bad options to suggest? Like, I mean, it's like I guess they're they're, they're all very good, but <laughs> yeah. So uh, they're like, look, okay, fine, I'll do one handicap for you, which is I'd like to just pick your club. As long as it's a driver, yeah. I want to pick I won't give club. you a putter and make you fucking try right. to do it. And Chikara's like, oh, okay, fine. Uh, this starts to attract a little bit of attention because, of course, there's, you know, a contest between the workers at, at, the, at the course going on. Uh, Oga uh, sets something up, which is a TrackMan golf launch monitor. Uh, so they can actually, you know, track how far the trajectory of the ball is going to take it. Uh, she also says, like, yeah, I'm, like, 1% responsible for this, so I figured I should help. And they're like, 
you're like 99% responsible for this. Maybe not that much, but uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I was going to say, I don't know about 99% responsible, but all right. More than one, yes. Uh, Haku is uh, warming up, and everyone's like, oh boy. Uh, he doesn't look at all that good. Uh, he hits the ball, and he has a good, he's got a good drive. He manages to hit it 239 yards. Wow, it's good, good drive. Good for him. Uh, but they're like, man, what a fluke, though. Like, because he was not doing good before. And then, yeah, in Haku's own head, he's like, oh my God, thank God I hit it properly for once. Thank God. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of the older guys who are hanging around and now watching the contest are like, yeah, he practices all the time. So it makes sense that he's getting better at this. Uh, but Haku is like, okay, yeah, you know, this is only my, my first shot. Can't relax yet. But no. I win. In the past 10 days, I've used every club this place has to offer, so I know the one I've given Chikra is so old and worn out (laughs) that no matter how good his swing is, there's no chance he makes it past 200 yards. I scored 240. He's not beating that with that club. No way, no how. I'm sorry, but the victory is mine. It's so funny. He's so calm. I love his shitty face. He's like, I win. My buddy won this won. game. Yeah, <laughs> he becomes very... the villain. Yeah. <laughs> that's what makes this character endearing. It makes me like this series, though. So I like that they channeled into it again. Uh, Chikara hits with the really shitty club. Wah, wah! <laughs> it's a two hundred seventy-eight yards, and everyone's like, "Holy shit!" Because <laughs> uh, like, how is this possible? <laughs> But, you know, the other workers are like, yep, uh, that's, that's what was going to happen. And Shikara is like, yeah, I admit, you know, my swing was not that good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you want more of a handicap? Yeah, do you need more? What's going to go on here? And Haku's like, yes, yes, I need more of a handicap, please. And again, everyone's like, you're so, you were so cool at the start and you're so embarrassing now. And Hoka's like, have some dignity. He's like, no, I'm running out of options here. He's like, no, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to have to no, leave. So he starts to panic. He's like, oh, my God, 280 yards. No, what am I going to do? And Oga says, like, look, there's no shame in admitting defeat. And he says, no, I want to win this. I'm going to hang on for as long as I can. And he thinks, like, okay, I've got to do at least stop him from getting a further drive than he already has but what do I do? Because like the club didn't work, and he's like, you know, you know, he's gnawing at his at his finger, and he looks down at his hand, and he looks at the glove, and he says, "You're really okay with one more handicap? Yeah, it's fine." Then I want you to wear this torn glove I've been wearing, and the other workers are like, "What kind of handicap is that?" But Oga realizes what's happening, and she gets this horrified look on her face. And Shikara takes a beat, a beat, and then he goes, "You beast!" Yeah. <laughs> so Ogas explain like, "Yeah, I, I gave, I gave Haku those gloves, so they give it to him." Oh, he is holding Shikara's heart hostage. <laughs> that evil man. <laughs> so Shikara's like, "If I use my full strength, I'll ruin this precious glove." But she, of course, very firmly established in the last chapter he would treat as a treasure. <laughs> yeah. I, I love her like response to it. it, it again, like great face looks pressure. Just like, he's like, no, I can never destroy this. It's just like, and it turns like, it's like, 
You're the worst. You're such a fucking scumbag. You're so awful. Everyone's like, you suck. <laughs> You're the worst person. And then he admits it. He's like, yes, this sucks. I, But I want to win. He says, like, look, I hate that my best doesn't even reach Hagio's feet. I know he's been golfing longer than me. But if I'm going to do this, I want to win. I'll do anything to win. I don't want to lose with grace. I don't care how lame I end up looking. I want to win. It's like, hey, sure. This dude's, I hate this because like we haven't obviously gotten to the point where this series is going to be officially ranked yet, but I'm so worried it's going to start with like a low rank. And I'm like, it's because this character is like, I I don't want to say like it's too nuanced and mature for children, but I'm like, I do feel like there's a (laughs) bunch of people who are just going to be like, this dude's unlikable. And I'm like, that's what makes him good. He's so unlikable. He's likably unlikable. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. But, and this does, like, Oga does understand now what, what's going on with him. So she kind of backs off a little bit. Uh, but, and they're all like, I guess if Chikara accepts it, it's fine. Uh, and uh, they're like, yeah, but I mean, like, 280 yards, like, how, could you, how is he supposed to get that? He just barely got, you know, less than 240 yards at it with his best shot. So Oga says, I at least owe him a bit of advice. If I were him, I'd withdraw, but... And she approaches, and she goes to Chikara first and is, and says, like, hey, please. And he's like, oh, she said please. <laughs> this boy. He says, let me offer him a bit of advice. If you're going to go at all this trouble, let's make sure there are no regrets. I'm going to show you Yasaki's 280-yard power drive. So, she's going to help Haku to achieve some more of his potential, it seems. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how this goes next time. Should be fun. Uh, like this chapter a whole lot. Haku, uh, such a cool, fun little goofball, slime bell, uh, dork. It's great. Uh, Nick, do you want to talk about girls? Girls. Do, it's no do, sex or cyst. Do you want to talk about girls whose tops have fallen off and they cannot oh get them goodness. back on? It's like their hands don't work. It's so embarrassing. Chapter 31, Struggles in the Darkness. Ugh, that, that chapter title's gross, knowing the context that, of the chapter. This, that's like, ooh, Struggles in the Darkness. Like, it, that's that what, the, what it reminds me this, of. This just grossed in me. All right. So last time, fucking Gakuro and Shiroha and Suo fled into a cave a barrier fell behind them, so they're now separated from uh, Shitotsu, who is already taking care of all the level two spirits outside. She's fine. She killed, she got rid of them really easily. It's like if the three of them had just waited two minutes before fleeing into the cave, they would have been fine, and this would have all been avoided. So they report to Shitotsu, like, yeah, we're all okay. Uh, and she's just like, all right, well, I'll look for another way in. You guys keep going. And, she, and Gakura's like, wait, we don't know. She's already gone. Yeah. She's already walked off without making sure they heard her. So they're like, all right, we better go and meet with her. But they're in the darkness. And the girls still have it's bikini tops undone that they're just holding up. Mind Frozen. Truly, Frozen. Truly baffling in this moment. So they're like, all right, yeah, I guess we should get moving. But, oh, my God, there's a spider in the darkness. And and 
Shiro has shivering while while tripping onto Agakura's shoulder, and he's like, "Oh, I am such an idiot! Ah, these guys are bigger problems than not being able to look them in the eyes. I have to keep everyone calm and safe." Bunch of torches go on in the cave, light everything up, and they're immediately like, "Oh my God, torches! We can see and stuff." And immediately, Shiro takes her hand off of Gakuro's shoulder, and Gakuro's like, "I don't get it." But I'm glad there are lights. It seems to have put their minds at ease. Oh no, their tops are falling off! Ah! So he's he gets an idea, which is alright, I'm going to close my eyes and look away. So fix your swimsuits. Okay. We're past this, right? We're past this? Past yeah, we're, this. we're done now. We can we can figure this out. A spider falls on the floor. And then the torches go out immediately uh-huh. for no reason. So now they're in the dark and Suo and Shiro are like, and they run towards Gakuro to grab onto him. And they're like, and Gakuro's like, did you fix your swimsuit? No. Can you fix it for me? Why? Can you? Why? Gakuro. There's two of you. Just be like, hey, let me fix your swimsuit first. Then you fix my, like, I don't understand if this has to be a two person job, which they're not like, you can tie a bikini top on your own. It's not like uh, it doesn't need a, a full team to do it, but whatever. Why aren't you just asking each other? I don't understand why they have to like mule over this guy. So he ties Suo's bikini for her. So Suo, you you're you don't need to dedicate both hands to holding up your bikini top. Gakuro, now tie on Shiroha's. Fuck why? <laughs> he ties it on and then they're like it's still dark so let's hold hands and go how because start- like all right so in this chapter that's all about girls being topless you would assume that like oh well, this is just like a pervy thing but of course you've read this series so you know it has almost no fan service in it whatsoever like fan service stuff happens but it's just not drawn in any sexy way at all the closest thing we get is we get back in this if you're really into like uh lady back Maybe that's maybe that's good for you. How can he see it if it's this fucking dark? Like he's supposed to be nervous about this. And I'm like, does Gakuro have dark vision? Was that a detail about him that was like <laughs> described and stuff? I don't understand why they are all flocking to him. Why he is getting so nervous about everything. If they can't see where their tops are to tie them, then why is he even worried about seeing their boobs? I don't get it, Nick. I don't get it either. So they start going through the darkness and then they're like, oh, maybe instead of walking side by side while holding hands, we should walk single file so that we are safe from like attack. So Gakuro walks in the middle. Shiroha walks in front. Suo takes the back. Gakuro flashes back to a conversation that he had with Butler Boy, which was if you let go of her hand in the dark bad things will happen to her. And Gakuro thinks, yeah, well, she it was her idea to do this, so I guess I'll listen to her. What's going to happen to Shiroha that's so bad that she needs to be held in the darkness? It's that she stumbles around clumsily. I fucking she trips, hate this so walks much. walks into walls. I, I was willing to go on board with her being like, I want to hold your hand while we go to sleep because I get lonely. Otherwise, I was like, I can go along with She's this for a yeah. step. 
this is like a level of infantilism that's just insulting and annoying. Like, I don't understand her like, oh, actually, she holds someone's hand in the dark. Otherwise, she's just a clumsy little silly Billy and she'll fall down all over the place. And isn't it cute? It's like, fuck off. She I struggles d- in the darkness. Oh, I hate this fucking manga so goddamn much. Like, I don't understand what they're trying. Like, I, it's a constant battle between trying to make these characters seem like they're going to be any kind of competent and then the next shot is them being like oh but if, if it was a little dark out i couldn't do anything like what are you talking you fought in the fucking dark before what are you talking about Ooh, she's so stumbly and baby like remember when her boobs were out god it. i truly hate this i'm a, so i'm a little bit um what's the word resentful of the fact that people didn't vote this out. Like, I, I'm glad I don't have to talk. I'm a little glad that I don't have to talk. I'm probably more glad I don't have to talk about Kagorobachi, but I'm, this yeah. chapter was the epitome of everything that I hate about this series so much. This was the most infuriating chapter we've covered so far in this series. This was stupid. Uh, and it's not over, too. No. Uh, the big thing that, it com- that comes out is that Gakuro realizes that the reason that Shiroha is not holding hands with him is that that allows her to better sense his feelings and emotions so she senses the dream that he had last <laughs> night where he went on a date with both of them uh and so he realized like oh no yeah i'll just let's you know what let's just like get it out in the open yes i your leader had a dream about dating the two of you does that make things less awkward now that that's out in the open that I, your leader, your boss, your commander, Nick, have romantic thoughts about you too. I have an additional thought I need to ask because I can't, where did they get the shirts? I, I, um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> They're all wearing shirts now. I noticed that in my first time reading too. What? If they had shirts, why was the, 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 the swimsuit top thing even a thing? Just wear the shirt! <laughs> what? Where did they get the shirts? <laughs> they just appear. From <laughs> one page to the next. I was like, they looking. Just have shirts I on. was like, staring at the panel, and I was like, looking. I was like, oh, the shirt. Something about this seems off. And I was like, wait, where did they get the shirt? And I like looked back. I was like, oh, maybe they like grabbed it off of like a. a I was the wise guy saying like a mummy or something. Like I don't. There's some must be some establishing panel where they found these shirts. No, they just they got shirts. No and I'm like, why? It's just you they're all in their swimsuits one page and then you turn the page and they're all wearing shirts and that's it. What come on At some point Dashed and Kutcher is supposed to come out and tell me I pranked Like I'm not this isn't supposed to keep going. Uh Anyway, Gakuro says, like, yeah, I got all self-conscious because I had a dream about dating you guys. I'm sorry for causing trouble. And then Tsuha's like, oh, is that why you weren't able to look us in the eye? Yeah, I'm sorry. And then Tsuha's like, oh, wow, Shiroha. Yeah, I guess he wants to date us, huh? And then Shiroha blushes. Yep. Cool. That's out in the open. All thanks to Shiroha and her magical fucking mind sensing emotion power or some shit it's it's all nonsense but i guess now they it's out in the open that he has a crush on both of them 
Cool. So Shutatsu gets to the village and uh, is like, wait a minute, there's a barrier that's trapped me inside here. And there's also a dense spirit orb. I don't see anyone. What the hell's going on? And she says, where are the, what, are, what the hell are the others doing? And then a guy says, they're here. Good. This should be enough. My code straps are very excited about this development yeah this this guy uh with his his fucking jinko jeans and his, his fucking leather sleeves get out of here you're not our son yeah we have one boy all right i nick i would be embarrassed if i released this chapter uh, like I don't know how else to say it. This is an embarrassing thing to read. Like we read a lot of garbage, and like Eden Zero most weeks is usually like a testament to just doing stuff uh, that's like tasteless and dumb. But this is such a pathetic chapter of like two capable women who have to spend the whole chapter uh, clinging to a guy because their tops fell Literally. off last chapter yeah. uh, in a way that they can't figure out a way to get them back on themselves they can't work together to do it they apparently have shirts that they just grab at some point uh it's where were they keeping them (laughs) who knows i i truly i truly have zero idea maybe gakuro had all three shirts in his swim trunks and he pulled them out he's like oh actually i have these my crotch shirts um (laughs) It's just pathetic. It's embarrassing. Like, I understand you could do this in, like, a harem manga, but in a manga where I'm supposed to take these two as, like, capable warriors, it's just, like, imb- like I get it. They're teenagers, but it's 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 embarrassing to treat them this way. Like, these characters seem pathetic now. Um, I, it's just, like, a embarrassing premise of a chapter. Like, two girls can't get their tops back on, and they have to wander yep. through a scary cave with a guy um it's not interesting in any way it's just dumb the main premise of the chapter or the 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 fallout of the chapter uh revolves around shiroa's stupidly ill-defined i can sense what you're feeling thing and he's like oh we need to talk about the fact that you had the chastest like the most chaste dream you physically could have had about two girls that you're surrounded by uh where i had a dream about you both you were much better clothed than you are right now, but that's what I'm embarrassed about, not this. Yeah, I was I was humiliated that I showed up and you were both dressed rather cutely at a bus stop. And like, it's it's just nothing. I don't get what the series is trying to capture. It's not like cool. It's not intense. It's not emotional. If it was even what it was going for, I don't understand if it's supposed to be sexy or something like that. I don't get like I truly don't understand what this series goes for 99% of the time. It feels like so many ideas trying to be done at once. And this chapter is like just fails at every single one of them. Like the fact that like three again, I mentioned this last week that like three chapters ago, there was like a fucking whiteboard to explain different positions of a fucking captains and all that sort of nonsense, and now it's over here like, I can't chime my bikini top back on. Can I hold your hand through the darkness? It's just so fucking, like, just embarrassing. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm dressed like a bunny, and I'm here telling you that it's embarrassing. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. It's pretty bad. All right. Shadow Eliminators, Chapter 3, Moment of Truth coming up. Uh, 
It's chapter three, Cocoon of Prayer. Said cocoon is over the top of a shrine, a marriage shrine that a girl goes to pray at to hope that uh, her friend uh, has a good love life. Uh, we'll cut away from there, catch up with the Shadow Eliminators Club and how they're doing. Uh, turns out they've been getting a lot of people actually coming to see them because that super popular senpai actor guy that they helped out last time gave them both a shout out. And uh, and so kind of drove people towards them that are having problems. Every now and again, they get someone who's got a spirit thingy haunting them and they take out this thread thingy to seal it. And so things are things are going well. But then uh, a big thing happens. A girl on the roof. She she she's oh, my God, she's jumping. She's she's going to 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 end her life. Uh, and so the exorcist guy um, jumps out the window and as he's jumping reveals the spirit that is casting the girl to her death and somehow catches her inside the building. Don't know how that happened. Does not make physical sense. I thought he was going to jump out and grab her and like superhero landing safely. Uh-huh. But that's not what yeah, happened. He vacuums her in somehow. Uh, he used the spirit tool to whoop her in or something. We had to pick up the pace. We spent so long talking and shitting all over through yeah, Sexorcist. Uh, sadly, Shadow Eliminator, sadly, in big quotes, might have to oh, take man. the cut here. Uh, so the girl is the one who went to pray at the shrine before and they're like what what's going on and she's like it's it's my fault one of my friends disappeared and i know that it's because of me uh but glasses guy says that he remembers the girl that has disappeared because he you know he's memorized every single name and face in the student handbook he knows everyone and you know the members that they belong to and stuff but no one else in the school seems to know who the girl Nana is and like her name has been removed from the seating chart uh, nobody in her club remembers her it's basically like she never existed at all and the only people that remember her are this girl and glasses guy uh, uh, exorcist boy sees that there is something that is lancing out of her like and going off into the distance uh, and he says like hey you said that you thought it was your fault that she disappeared but don't you think the other way would be better? Ooh, whatever. Um, the uh, girl goes to like grab the attention of some boy that she prayed for like good love and stuff with, get a flashback of them together where they learned about where she found out from her friend that she was going to confess to the guy. She looked up this marriage shrine, went to go see it. Uh, the lantern house thing comes out uh, and smacks glasses boy in the face. And Exodus guy is like, yeah, put up a barrier. But I don't know how to use it. And then it works. Uh, and he sets up a barrier. And there's a spirit surrounding the girl. And she's like, oh, it's all my fault. It's all because I wish for Nana to be happy. And Exorcist Boy slays the spirit. And he's like, you didn't do anything wrong. Tell me, where did you wish for her happiness? Threads don't just attack people. They can also layer themselves over places and things. They try to grow bigger by lashing themselves onto people and feasting on the shadows of their hearts. And so she takes them back to the marriage shrine, and this time she's able to see the weird spectral cocoon over the gate, and Exodus Boy says, it's okay, I'll slay it. Quinn, this is the best chapter of this series so far. There are ideas in it that I think could potentially be interesting. That said, I read that chapter, I experienced that thought, I walked away from it, and two days later I was like, 
Did I read Shadow Eliminators? <laughs> I don't remember a goddamn thing that happened in it. Um, I will... So, yes, I'm on the same wavelength as you, uh, to a certain extent. I didn't think this was the best chapter. I thought this was the worst chapter they had. This one was oh. more boring than the other ones. I was like, at least the other ones, I guess, because they had to establish the premise of this series were more interesting, but this, like... I don't know. I feel, I feel like the big challenge I have with this series so far is that uh, it doesn't do anything interesting with the dilemmas these characters have. It doesn't like try to like put an interesting hook or anything in there. These characters just sit there and be like, this is my problem. It's bad. I feel emotions. <laughs> and then, then he's like, well, what if I cut those emotions up and you didn't feel them anymore? Um, and then like, I guess the, the... That's what therapy is, right? That yeah. someone just comes in and cuts out the bad thoughts. Oh my gosh, I wish. Uh, I think that's actually <laughs> hypnosis. <laughs> uh they're just like why don't those just go down um but the end of it's like a cliffhanger so i guess this is maybe the most exciting the series has been like ooh, he won't solve the problem immediately we'll give a little bit of time for this to simmer question mark uh which maybe will mean next chapter be cool but this isn't a particularly great series nick we finished three chapters the big question of course on the table are we going to keep reading shadow eliminators uh no for no. me yeah no. i don't no. think this one had much of a shot um sorry uh there's just too many goddamn exorcist series in this world uh and uh you gotta do something pretty unique out of the gate i think to succeed yeah this doesn't do anything particularly well or particularly ridiculously badly so there is no real reason for us to go with it i don't think yeah so yep Let's talk about Two on Ice, Chapter 13, Adult. Uh, so, yeah, in order to get over Hayuma's nervousness when doing pairs skating with Kisara, they're going to consult with an ex-couple pair, Yuni, the girl, and Kotaro. Uh, we established very quickly that Kisara and Yuni are, know each other, uh, and immediately, like, Hayuma's kind of caught off guard because Yuni's, like, wearing pretty a pretty skimpy top for this kind of meeting i mean it's it's a it's a, just basically a sports bra and that's it's a very strappy sports bra usually you'd want very. some kind of coverage up top if you were like trying to actually create it but you know she's allowed to wear what she wants yeah it's it's very cleavagey and there is a note where, it, there, like, to know, the point where you're like that can't provide any support right <laughs> yeah it's it, i'm not sure what she's trying to accomplish other than producing cleavage, honestly, but uh, again, you know, her choice. But yeah, it's up, up to her. They do make a joke about that immediately because she's like, "Oh, Kisara, you've gotten so big." And Kisara's like, uh, "I was gonna say the same thing, because hey, she's got big boobs." Yeah. So, um, they pair off a, a little bit where you know they, the two of them are talking a little bit and they're catching up. And Kotaro comes over to Hayumi. He's like, "Oh, you're the guy everyone's been talking about. Yeah, you've been copying Kisara's moves and stuff. Totally wicked. This guy's got piercings and stuff." And so Hayumi's kind of like trying to get a grasp of you know this, how flashy this guy is. He's kind of intimidating him at first. So they offer to show off you know their routine a bit, and uh, so they're like, "All right, Hayuma, Kisara, you skate together." And immediately they you know cinch up and. Hayuma goes, and literally Kotro goes, lol. So he's great. Uh, so they go off to perform instead, and they... I forgot about this detail. They perform their skate program to 
Justin Bieber's Mistletoe. I didn't even. I don't even oh, know the song existed. I, what a sensual, <laughs> sensual what romantic a, what a, song. What a classic. I assume. <laughs> uh, we're the wrong age to be reading this kind of manga. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to think I should go home. I mean, I guess I am home, but yeah, uh. Yeah, so apparently it's like all romantic and and stuff. Uh, the only thing that I'm taking in, however, is that Hayuma wears a shirt that reads "cool" and Gisara wears a shirt that says "a little." So, <laughs> well, it's weird because I think they show earlier he has a shirt that says "cool body," and she has something else. Uh, but it looks like uh, some of that shirt, uh, like the text, uh, vanishes at some point. I guess so. Uh, so. They are like, oh wow, that was like a very sensuous routine they did. Are they like actually broke, you know, broken up, huh? Uh, and so the girls go off to talk, the guys go off to talk and try to like you know work their their routine, the problems that Kisara and Hayuma are having and and everything. Uh, and so Uni brings up that like, yeah, when we first paired up, like my heart would race like all the time because I had never been so close to a boy before and Kotoro would try and act all cool, but he was nervous too. He was convinced that we would never learn any moves. He would like get really worked up and start crying. Hayama's actually further along than he was <laughs> when you think about it because he's able to actually like, you know, at least start. So... Uh, but he, she promised, like, look, you two are going to be fine. It just takes a little bit of time for everyone to mature. Uh, and then she, like, starts skating and, uh, I guess, to practice. Kotaro is watching them through a window and he's like, oh, my God, she's so cute and pretty. I feel great just watching her. And he was like, huh. <laughs> He's not even acting like they're broken up. And then he immediately falls into despair. He's like, oh, okay, they are broken I, up. I do like this detail of him being like, oh, she looks so gorgeous out there. He's like, oh, man, he's doing pretty good. Slam. Oh, like, yeah, okay, they are broken up. Yep. And uh, she broke up with him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Kotaro says, like, yeah, like, look, I do feel the, that way. But having these feelings is important. Uh, I mean, it's probably not the same way with, like, Natsuya, because, you know, he, he performs with his sister. But at some point, you two are probably going to perform a love song. And that's when you have to tap into your feelings in order to properly you know, evoke the right feeling in your performance. So, you know, this moment where you get close to her and you feel nervous and your heart starts pounding... That's important. You're going to need to, when later on, draw on that feeling when you need to. And so I even realized, like, oh, the reason why they're able to have that very passionate romantic performance is they remember their feelings from before they were at right now. Okay. Also, then, uh, Kotaro warns him, don't start going out with your partner. Don't do that. Because you will pick up eventually, and it's horrible. It's awful. Don't do it. Don't become me. And it's nice that he has that uh, advice. I was curious, because I was like, I wonder if this is like a thing of uh, like figure skaters in pairs are frequently like, ah, you have to date. That is actually, I guess, a relatively common thing. Uh, there, There um, is... Uh, uh, it looks like a, a metric done back in 2018... Uh, that figure skaters who uh, are romantically involved 
uh, score lower than those who aren't dating. Makes perfect sense, honestly. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, there's got to be more consistency if that's not the case when mm. you think about it. You know, if you're able to just be professional and focus on the performance without that stuff getting in the way. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, they, you know, Kodra gives him all that advice. Actually, he's referring to him as Tora, I forgot, because he's like, he thinks it's a cool nickname because it has like the same reading, basically. Uh, but he's like, look, when you have that feeling of like getting embarrassed and you've got to get past that. If you get embarrassed because you accidentally touch Kisara in a place you're not supposed to touch, save apologizing for later because you cannot let go of her in the middle of a performance. It will be dangerous. I think that, is, I feel like this is the point that really need to needs to have been hammered home earlier. Is like yeah. it's less about like oh I can't believe I mean it is an important thing of her being like uh I wish you I thought you weren't like the other guys but this feels like the point they should have hammered in from the beginning is like it's really dangerous to let go of your partner while you're figure skating yeah. in pairs like this this is not a safe sport in a lot of ways. Yep. So, Kisara and Hayuma meet back up again. They're like, all right, let's try doing this, and they start skating together, and things are going a bit better, but then they slip and they stumble and fall but they're like it's okay you didn't act like just freak out and let go of her you just stumbled normally you're not mm -hmm. used to skating together it's okay and you'll get used to it and they do end up like with their faces close to each other and Hayuma does back off and he's like I'm sorry I slipped but Kisara's like yes, it's fine and she's also a little bit embarrassed he's like yeah you were better than last time you know yeah. so she's also clearly a bit and we, we could see her shirt says I can skate a little I can skate a little <laughs> Yes, you can. <laughs> and all, and you know, Kotaro and and is, is watching them and they're like, oh, they're both good kids. Mm -hmm. uh, they part on good terms with Taurus saying like, "Hey, whatever performance you little squirts bring, we're gonna beat you." Yeah, sports. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then it's Christmas Eve. Wouldn't you know it? Uh, or one, it's one week until Christmas Eve, and the Holy Knight's gift from God was right on their heels. What? What's happening? It's, it's, all right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And uh, Kisara asks Saima, like, hey, next week on Christmas Eve, are you free? Do you want to come over? And she's a bit embarrassed to ask him. So, hmm, they're going to be spending Christmas Eve together. What could be happening? Yeah, we'll see what happens there. There's some entertaining stuff in here. This is the most I probably enjoyed Two on Ice in a while. It felt like it was more concrete as like a way to get us to know these characters a little bit better and have them interact with like relatable characters in a way that was like amusing. It's fun. Like I had, I had fun and reading chapter. While emphasizing the importance of a facet of uh, paired skating, so that's yes. good too. The Elusive Samurai, Chapter 138, Commander. Uh, Genba and Natsu are uh, watching over things, playing about stuff. Natsu thinks to herself, like, uh, Mora now has generals over here. I can get away and uh, make reports and provide some intel on Nikiei's army. Because she's still working as a double agent, still planning on betraying him as a spy. Uh -huh. uh, Nita, the young warrior, is fighting people with the glaive spear thing. Uh, and he's killing people with it. Getting narration saying, yep. He was a good warrior because he got, like, you know, praised as an excellent warrior when he was in single digits. This kid was crazy. Okay. Uh, 
there are some other attendants who are helping him out as well. And Nita you know, says, hey, look, Kojiro, that Nagao guy that you wanted to fight, he's super strong and he's over there. And uh, they tell him, like, yeah, go ahead, do it. Go, go, go fight that guy. And uh, Kojiro goes up and is like, fight me. Uh, and Nagao says, like, hey, Uzuki, can I fight this guy? Yeah. Cool. All right. So uh, Kojiro gets his cool sword thing ready, and they start fighting, and we cut away. All right. So Tokyuki is squaring off now with with uh, Sanamune, and uh, there is a cool moment where there is a comparison of their archery techniques, because uh-huh. Tokyuki fires and Sanamune fires. Sanamune's shot is so powerful that it tears past Tokyuki's head and even goes through the shield that Ayaka raises to try and block it. Uh, and like leaves a giant hole in the shield, uh, whereas Tokyuki's arrow falls short of Satomune. There's just a far different strength in yeah. their forces. So Satomune's forces start charging. Uh, they come across uh, Ayako, who's got her war club ready, and there's a guy who recognizes Ayako when she gave her distraction dancing performance in the street a while ago. And she's like, oh, the dancing girl. Yeah, you were great. I mean, Ogasawara would employ you as a dancer. And she's like, sorry, I wield a weapon in battle now. Ha, yes, sorry about that. Let's fight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, I do like that transition. of like, oh, very well then. To battle then, (laughs) Kershonk. It's a very nice moment, honestly. Uh, She's fending this guy off while Tokyuki, you know, is observing Sanamune, he starts to command his forces and is like, oh, come on, you know, drive them back. And Sanamune realizes like he's trusting his men to defend himself so that he can inspire the whole group while he just remains safe and confident in their defense. Uh, so he plans like, okay, we'll go upstream, we'll circle around behind them, go through their rear ranks, and I'll shoot him and flee while they're off guard. And he puts that plan to action. They ride through it really quickly. He fires on Tokyuki, who has to, like, dodge the shot from behind and swerve out of the way. And Sadamuni immediately is forced to flee. But as Sadamuni is observing Tokyuki's reaction to this, he's like, wait, what's he doing? What's that stance he's making? It's like he's firing, but he doesn't have a bow. He's mimicking the way that I just fired my bow. And Tokyuki is really, you know, excited by what he's just done. He's avoided this. And he remembers the advice that he was given, which is that he needs to learn from Sadamuni's archery style, not Akiye's. Sadamuni is the one that he's got to watch and observe and steal from. And Sadamuni, in this moment, realizes he's not only defending himself, he's trying to take from me during this battle. And he starts to get really amped up over this as well. And he says something very cool, which is, you may yet learn my greatest skill, but then you die. Nice. Yeah. Um, this is some cool stuff. I like that. It's like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna pay back to the the main fight that this series has sort of uh, started on, uh, and it's good. Like Sadamone has been a well established villain, uh, a, a rival, I guess, or some, something for Tokyuki to chase since the beginning of this, and now yeah. it's finally coming to a head. Uh, it's good. This is this is satisfying. Yeah. I like this chapter, and it's nice to have that. <laughs> so, you know what this chapter almost didn't have? A key. But you know what, Quinn? When a key is not on screen, people should be talking about Lord Akie. Yeah, like, you know uh, what? That was really cool as a key. I bet a key could have figured this out. 
God. Akane Banashi, story 91, errands to run. And this will be our last chapter today uh, because uh, there's no One Piece this week. Akane uh, is out and about. She's got cute little pigtails in this chapter. Uh, And she's going to meet up with her friend Jumbo. And uh, she's, you know, like kind of like just catching up with him in terms of what she's been up to in Rakugo, especially in terms of their Futatsume prep for Asagao. And uh, Jumbo's like, wow. Yeah, I thought when you're making that costume, you're just like making a Halloween costume. And she says, yeah, I don't have time for that. <laughs> Makes sense. I do. Uh, I, I do like her thing. She's like, I don't have time for that nonsense. Everything I do is Rakugo. Everything. Uh, and she also kind of like tracks her progress a bit in terms of like, hey, I'm working towards becoming a Futatsume. I've got to know 50 stories. And now I'm up to 39. I mean, she knew like six stories, remember, in that important chapter uh, previously. Uh, and also she's like, you know, learning other stuff uh, for the promotion. But the big thing, of course, is she needs to have a recommendation by one of the Arch Four. Uh, and so Jumbo's like, oh, wow. Yeah, not too long ago, you were like panicking over that one story you were performing. And Akai's like, don't remind me about that. Shut up. Uh and uh, then he's while he's looking through her pictures on her phone because she gave it to him so he could look over like you know shots from the performance. Uh, he sees Karashi in his like fox costume, and he's like, "Wait, isn't that the guy who was in the?" Yeah, and she's like, "Yeah, he was in the competition with me last year. Uh, we were in the same like class of Rockago, basically." And Jumbo gets a weird look on his face, and she's like, "What? What? What is it?" Oh, it's just you know like. He's kind of mean. <laughs> and Akai is like, oh, yeah, you can be kind of harsh sometimes. But he's a nice guy. Karashi's cool. Cut to Karashi's like, I have a horrible chill. <laughs> a girl I hate was saying nice things about me. <laughs> um, And he is having some coffee with Hikaru. Uh, they've kept up their, like, weird association since in the last couple of times that they've met each other uh and hikaru brings up like oh yeah remember when you were like that girl i'd rather be her opponent now you're in this you're this guy in this costume right here pointing to him in the <laughs> background while akane's in her t- uh, t- a costume tanuki. uh a tanuki costume and she's like yeah and you even gave her my photo album it's like no I have my reasons, alright? Stop. We're not friends. Also, we're not friends. Yeah. This is not a friendly relationship at all. Um so Asago, uh, you know, he thinks about like, hey, you know, like he rather he's th- he's he just remembers what Chocho told him, like, look, just focus on this event. So he's like, look, I've got my own reasons for everything and stuff. Hikaru starts pouting as well because he's like, oh, you could have invited me to this fun event too. <laughs> whatever um she also it turns out like came to like observe akane during one of these performances that they've been having uh and like hung off hung out in disguise and also backstage as well uh but akarashi says like you know i saw the arakawa new breeze that show performance and yeah it was the kaisei show the only other person who maybe benefited was koguma and so Hikaru was like, yeah, I get it. I know I'm inexperienced. 
and I know that I'm going nowhere fast. I need a weapon even greater than the eight blind men technique. So it seems as though she basically fully prepped for her one competition for Akane and then was like, that's what she had for that moment. Yeah, that, 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 so, that, that was every, that was the ace up the hole or ace up the sleeve was like, ah, I'll do my voice acting to throw them off. Uh, everyone will be so impressed. And she got to a competition with like crazy talent. She's like, oh no. <laughs> oh <laughs> no. <gotta> <laughs> um, yeah, so now it's Karachi starting to mock her a little bit in, in return. Like, yeah, you're getting so worked up over this and everything. Uh, and then he says, like, hey, if you ever want to hold a study event to, you know, hit me up. Maybe I'm available. Which he seems also, based on body language, maybe a little bit embarrassed to be offering that to her. Uh, they uh, Then he gets up to leave. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I got some errands to run. And Akane at the same time, as Aaron's to run. So we cut back to the other conversation between her and Jumbo as they're walking away from the diner. And she says, yeah, I've got this big debut event in a bit. Uh, I've got a pra- I've got practice with Master. Uh, and Jumbo's like, man, that's a lot of work. And she says, that's not so bad. And she talks about her friends outside of the Rakugo world. And he's like, yeah, Risa's, you know, looking, into, looking for jobs. Yuka's doing illustrations on the side. And you've got your judo. So, you know, everyone's doing their best at something so I can't be the only one not keeping up. Mm-hmm. The errand that both Akane and Karashi have to run is meeting up with Asagao. And by coincidence, they happen to arrive at the exact same time. Uh, and Asuka, and so they're like, well, it was, it's coincidence that we we just ran into it. And so Asuka's like, I don't care. Come on. <laughs> Do you ever worry that because this is manga, they're just going to force ship them together? And it's not just that these, these are like two people who refuse to admit that they actually uh, are friends with one another. I get the sense that if anyone is going to be forced hetero ships together, it's going to be Karashi and Hikaru. That's okay. what it feels like. Um. And, like, maybe Jumbo and, and Akane or something like that. But they have less romantic stuff going on, it feels like to me, than Karashi and Hikaru do. The, so. Yeah, it's just for any reason why this happens. I'm like, oh, this is a cute scene. I hope they don't make them fall in love or something. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Asuka takes them inside where the masters are waiting. Chocho and Tizen. And immediately they're kind of like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is the person I was, you know, hoping to meet. So, that, you know, uh, Chocho takes, you know, command of proceedings and he's like, yeah, so this is going to be the opener for us as debut. This is Akane Arakawa. And ties in again. And she's just mm, staring. He's like, come on, don't just stare. She'll get shy. And, and uh, Asuka was, you know, he's fully bowing down very respectfully. And Chocho's like, hey, my apprentice picked her. He said that she's done a lot for him. He insisted on it. So I've got a proposal. Why don't you give her a Futatsume recommendation? And the guy's like, what? 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 <laughs> He's stunned by this. Well, yeah, you can do that, you know? You know, depending on her performance in the opening for the show, right? Uh, and then he notices that Akane is you know, struck dumb by this. And like, what? It's more motivation for you, right? And Akane's like, oh, yeah, I'm just like, it's like almost too much of a good thing. Like, why? Why? And Chocho says, what? You need a reason? When you feel good about someone, you bet big on them. It's the gambler's nature. He's so cool. <laughs> Tizen pauses 
and speaks. And he says, being an Arakawa Futatsume means coming under the critical eye of Master Isho. Do you know what that means? It must not be a disgrace. And Akane is quiet for a moment. And she says, I think I know what that means better than anyone. And she flashes back to when her dad was expelled from the Arakawa school. And she vows, I'll undertake the first Tetufutatsume with every ounce of strength I have. Yeah! Hell yeah! Cool stuff. I like it. Akane, Resolve, uh, going for this next level with a lot of, you know, potential consequence to it, but she has to succeed on her next thing, which she's going to be doing in front of her dad. I wonder when she's going to find that little detail out. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Uh, this was a nice chapter. Uh, I really liked uh, the, uh, you know, the reflecting conversations and then leading to this moment where everyone's brought together. And then, yeah, the very sudden, you know, Church is just like, yeah, let's just lay stuff out on the table. Like, no, no, you don't need to, like, hang around Tyson for a few seconds. Why don't you give her a promotion if she does well? Come on! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, looking forward to more. Yeah, good stuff. Nick, it's time to wrap up this podcast but first, we have to go over our MVPs and our chapter of the week. Uh, I will go first. I think this is going to end up being a double. I, I My character of the week is absolutely Haku from Green Green Greens. He was really, really funny and really, really like shitty this week in an enjoyable way. And I think in that same way, I think my chapter of the week is going to be Green Green Greens. Uh, I'm going to repeat you on Haku. Uh, like I said, I thought that this was a nice, you know, return to form, a showcase for his character. Uh, not just like, you know, the guy who's too nervous to throw himself into stuff. This is his way of throwing himself into yes. stuff shamelessly, which is great. Um, uh, for chapter of the week, though. Oh, there's some good choices, honestly. There, there were some really bad chapters this week, but there were some really nice chapters this week. Uh, I am going to go. <sighs> I'm going to go with Akane Banashi. Okay. Uh, it's not a very eventful chapter, but I just really like some of the character interactions we get from it. I like the sense of things moving and the way that ki- things are kind of taking a very soft but unexpected uh, path in terms of how things are pacing right now. But also, like, I uh, just want to say, like, Kaijin Never Eight, really good. Okay. Uh, Cypher Academy, really good. Uh, so yeah, some good yeah. stuff this week. There was some good stuff there. Uh, the audience, by the way, uh, agreed with us with Haku from Green Green Greens, his character of the week, and Undead Unluck one chapter of the week, which I can see. This was like a fun chapter for Undead Unluck. I also like the reveal that until uh certain rules were added, everyone were just uh like fucking barbie dolls and uh yeah, and and yeah, yeah. They, they people were just there like uh it's a very cool idea yeah and it does go a, a bit of a level to explaining juiz's kind of fluctuating appearance in some mm-hmm. in some ways like yeah okay sure so all right that's gonna do it for weekly monk recap everybody Thank you all for joining us. We record the show here on Wednesdays at twitch.tv slash Rolo T. Uh, usually start sometime between 7.30 and 8 in the evening, uh, Eastern time. Uh, but if you want to follow along and uh, know exactly when we're going live, you might want to join the WMAR 
Discord server. It'll be linked wherever this podcast is posted. You can also find our past episodes on youtube.com slash recap for the video version. Uh, podbean.com weeklymagarehap.podbean.com specifically for all of our recorded audio versions. They're also on iTunes and Spotify and others, you know, podcast sherry type places. The said WMR Discord uh, joined that. You get updates. You get to, you know, be linked to the Google Doc where we keep track of all sorts of helpful stuff for the show, including votes for end of the year polls. Those are fast approaching. Make your voice heard and vote in those and stuff. Uh, as we're getting set for our annual manga recap at the end of this year slash start of next year, depending. Uh, yeah, and uh, we want to thank NinjaX3i for maintaining that spreadsheet. Miles Jack Stills and Winston Cheddar create the opening sequence of the show. Steve Mann does occasional uh, thumbnail art uh, for the uh, title cards. Yeah. Yes. All good stuff all around. Um, we'll be here next week. Uh, I don't know what. Oh. Uh, so don't don't worry about weekly manga recap leaving you high and dry for the holidays. Um, we'll we'll get something in there. Um, maybe we'll just watch much much Muppets Christmas Carol. I don't I forget. Are we getting chapters next week? I don't think we are. Um, okay, let me check here. Oh, uh, Chainsaw. Apparently, Chainsaw Man and Elusive Samurai also tied. Maybe that changed while I was looking at it, or maybe it just did scroll scroll far enough down. So. Uh, big wide range of stuff. But yeah, anyways, uh, it sounds like we're going to get some chapters next week, so we'll probably have a regular episode. Uh, and then we will probably do the retrospective as soon as we can uh, start as soon as January hits. Yeah. So, looking forward to it. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. My arms are very cold right now, so I'm going to go. I bet. All yeah. right. Good night, everyone. Bye.